I like the idea of just using a random legal term as the name for our podcast. Yeah. Like like perjury or divorce settlement or uh, <laughs> marijuana possession. All good names for our podcast. <laughs> what do you think? Hold on. Hold on a minute. Marijuana possession. Yeah, just a random legal term. Hello, welcome to Court Wreckers, the only podcast that's gonna eat all of your samurai dogs. Step aside, I'm a dog. If if a dog eats your samurai dogs, is that like cannibalism? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what, Maya? It is cannibalism. <laughs> hey, that's a bit from later. We'll get to it. Hi, I'm your prosecutor host, Abby, and I'm your defense host, Mish. Mish, how you doing? Abby, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, I'm, I'm excited to continue our discussion of case one four turnabout goodbyes. Yes, today we will be covering the second part of the case, which is the first trial segment, as well as the third part of the case, which is the second investigation segment, because we spent a lot of time on the first investigation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As it turns out, Turnabout Goodbyes is a very heady case. There is a lot going on with this one and a lot to talk about. And there's no like, there's no like time limit for podcasts either. Like nobody's going to come in and be like, all right, Mish, five minute warning. You got to wrap it up. Like, yeah, we just, we just talk forever. (laughs) There's nobody with like a big sign or like a stopwatch or like maybe like a a hooked cane or something that. Yeah, that's what I need. (laughs) Yeah. Someone to pull me off stage. We really do need some third party to come in and say, hey, y'all, you know, you have talked about Ace Attorney enough today. (laughs) I'll be like, no, I haven't explained the connection to Ace Attorney investigations, too. Right. Like, yeah, me off stage. We're getting like dragged off by like, you know, a stagehand or something. We're like, wait, wait, but I have a lot of thoughts about Californian law or whatever. I have a lot of thoughts about totally not Tokyo law. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of which, um, I mean, we got a podcast too. Why don't we get right into yeah, it? Yeah. Let's get into All it. All right. So I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you start off by telling us which defendant lobby we're in. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't you like to know? All right. So part two, uh, the court segment number one starts us off in the district court defendant lobby number two. It is December 26th, 944 a.m., which is, uh, I believe, one day after the murder, right? Because it happened on Christmas. It happened either. Well, it depends, right? Because if the, if the day rolls over at midnight, right, it was it was around midnight. But yeah, we'll say like one day after. So this is exciting because uh, we're chilling in this uh, defendant lobby number two with our uh, client, Miles Edgeworth, and he introduces a new character uh this is the first mention we have heard uh at least by name of the prosecutor for this case manfred von karma um edgeworth introduces him uh setting up like the stakes or you know just uh to kind of set the stage for how much of like the underdog we are how much of a difficult fight ahead of us i actually really love this scene because edgeworth is kind of losing it 
in a very yeah. uncharacteristic way. You know? He, well, the, yeah, go ahead. So, so yes, you're right. It is uncharacteristic, but I feel like it's also like that trope you see in like, you know, anime or video games so often where like you'll have like the big bad evil guy, like, you know, your rival or whatever, who's like super scary and like intimidating. And then as soon as like you defeat them, they'll like join your side and they become, you know, this like scared puppy dog character. <laughs> it's like what Miles Edgeworth is doing. He was supposed to be this super like intimidating, ruthless prosecutor. And now that like he's the one on the defense, like he's like super afraid. Oh, of, uh, yeah. Miles is definitely like Bowser from Super Mario RPG right now. Yes, that is exactly what he is. <laughs> I, I just love some of the dialogue he has in this scene. You know, he's like, Manfred von Karma is a god of prosecution, right? A god. Mm-hmm. He'll do anything yeah. to get a guilty verdict. Anything. He Just picture a prosecutor as vicious as me, multiplied by a factor of 10. He's as ruthless as me, times 20. Like... <laughs> He just I, I keeps building with it. He just keeps getting like, you know, topping how how ruthless of a prosecutor uh, uh, Von Karma is. Yeah, we're seeing some real like power creep here because, you know, it, but I feel like that, you know, whatever, I get it. You know, like any video game, you know, whether it's like a shooter or platformer, in this case, you know, visual novel, like they're going to you know, likely have some kind of power creep for, you know, the villains or whatever. But I feel like they started, they set the bar too high to begin with because they had Edgeworth, who is the original, you know, big bad prosecutor. And then it's like, you know, they say like he hasn't lost a um, case like since he, you know, started his career. And now they have Von Karma and it's like he hasn't lost a case. You know, Edgeworth had only been a prosecutor for like four years. And now it's like, you know, they said uh, Von Karma hadn't lost a case in his 40 year career. So it literally right. is 10 times as long. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, where where do they go from here? I feel like they kind of set the bar too high. Looking forward through the se- mm-hmm. through the series, you know, they, they address the problem by just approaching prosecutors in a different way. Right. They characterize them, yeah. in, you know, sort of different angles and give them different sort of quirks and motivations and stuff. But you're right. If they sort of just I like the way you put it, if they linearly progress through this like prosecutor power creep, right? Yeah. By by spirit of justice, you know, the the sixth game in the series, we would have like a prosecutor who is like timeless and immortal and has never lost, you know, a legal trial anywhere in the galaxy in like a million years or something. Yeah, you'll you know? need like a scouter. <laughs> <laughs> To get to find their power level. Yeah, what does the scouter say about his prosecution level? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'd be dealing with that sort of shit. So, all right. So, so we we've already beaten this to death. The point is that Von Karma is really skilled, yeah, really intimidating prosecutor. He's a very intimidating prosecutor. And we we also learned. I don't think we said this yet that he was uh, Miles Edgeworth's uh, mentor. He was the one who taught him what it was to be a prosecutor. Yes, so that might yeah. be important later. I actually don't recall if we learned that during the prior investigation or if that comes out at some other point. But yeah, Von Karma was the essentially the mentor to Miles Edgeworth. So I feel like that really does sort of color the characterization of Miles and his relationship with Von Karma in a really interesting way. It Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so after this scene, we lead into uh, District Court, courtroom number three at 10 a.m. sharp, as usual. Mm-hmm. And we get our yeah. first appearance of Manfred von Karma. Mm-hmm. 
Oh man, would would you like the honor of describing him, or should I do my best? <laughs> my notes say he kind of looks like a vampire. He looks like a he looks like a vampire, and also like Joe Biden. Oh my god, he's Dark Brandon. Oh my god, I'm sorry, Manfred von Karma is Dark Brandon. <sighs> Oh my god, he's entering his <laughs> dark Brandon arc. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. He's about to cancel our student debt. Oh my god, <laughs> that would actually be pretty based. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, nah, Manfred von Karma is a motherfucker. He wouldn't do that. He would he would issue policy to double our student debt for no reason. Yeah, probably just to be like kind of dickish. Also, did you notice his like earrings? So I'll, we should describe the outfit. Cause sure. If you picture like the way miles edgeworth is dressed with like you know the pink suit like the frilly like cravat i feel like von karma's like that but like to the next level like he looks like you know like he's trying to be like a royalty he really um, does look like miles after a corruption arc yeah he's like dark edgeworth yeah he's like (laughs) vampire edgeworth but he also has these like bright blue earrings, which kind of seem like out of place. But who am I to judge? Whatever. He can I wear earrings what? if he wants. I am. I'm looking at him right now, and he does. He's got these like cute little studs. Yeah, I love. Yeah, that. <laughs> you're right. It is kind of out of out of place. It feels like. Yeah, like there's nothing wrong with any character of any gender wearing earrings, but it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of his aesthetic. Anyway, whatever. No need to talk about that. We don't need another three hour long podcast episode. <laughs> We can describe this fella as dripped the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, so we're in the court now. Uh, judge comes in as usual, says his spiel. Uh, court is now in session for the trial of Miles Edgeworth. We get, you know, our usual, uh, the defense is ready, Your Honor. And uh, <laughs> Von Karma uh, doesn't say anything at first. The judge is like, uh, Von Karma. First thing he says, first line of dialogue out of Von Karma's mouth, the word fool. He calls the judge a fool in the first, like, minute that court is in session. And I'm like, listen, I don't care how good a prosecutor is, like, how what his reputation is, like, that doesn't seem like a wise, like, first move, just, like, insulting the judge. Am I am I overreacting to that line? So I don't know. I, you know... You got to wonder about sort of the the dynamics of the L.A. court system. Von Karma has been doing this shit for 40 years. Surely yeah. this judge has encountered him before, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> like, I, I almost get the impression that the judge, when it comes to interpersonal interactions, mm-hmm. is generally pretty yeah. chill. Von Karma is probably up here being like, fool, you seriously think I would stand here were I not completely prepared? And the judge's head, he's probably just like, okay, yeah, we've been through this before. I get it. Like, this is just a formality. Like, I feel like, I feel like <laughs> yeah, Mr. The, judge the is judge just like, like, would be like sick of his nonsense. Right? <laughs> I think he is sick of his nonsense and just kind of goes along with it, honestly. Oh, that's funny. That's like, I, cause playing the game, judging by like going by the judge's like reaction and everything, he seems like, you know, scared or like intimidated or whatever. And it's like, again, trying to set up, you know, how powerful like this villain character is, Von Karma. But that's like a different interpretation I hadn't considered that I kind of like. Maybe the judge is just sick of his nonsense. He's like, all right, I've been dealing with this guy for like 40 years. Cause how old is the judge? They even like, we know nothing about him. You like never see him outside the courtroom. You never learn 
you know anything about his story or whatever you never learn his age like they even make a joke about it because he shows up in like every game even after like the time skips they're like the judge is like ageless so he's got to be doing this you know at least he's part of the courtroom yeah he's uh he's fused into it like uh like mother brain yeah he probably just like glued himself to his chair accidentally and like it's a big big living courtroom hasn't gotten out like ego the living planet but it's like the living courtroom i am the literal embodiment of justice but also i'm kind of a bumbling idiot yeah (laughs) that's the judge yeah he he plays that part because he knows it's critical in the uh the search for truth he he understands his role to a t but i I really do like your interpretation now like i'm never gonna be able to unsee it i'm just gonna constantly imagine the judge like yeah yeah, yeah, i get on with it von karma just kind of humoring him (laughs) Yeah, like he he acts like offended or surprised or whatever because he knows that like, you know, that's that's the reaction Von Karma wants. But otherwise, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, all right. So Von Karma is talking a big game about how he's got, you know, decisive evidence, a decisive witness um, that he's going to, you know, easily win this case, whatever. Um, (laughs) I even made a comment um, (laughs) similar to what I said. He's like, what's with this guy? Is he royalty or something? And it's like from the way he's dressed, like, yeah, you would kind of think so. He's like fancy pants, uh, vampire type looking character. Uh, so in any case, uh, Von Karma calls his first witness to the stand. As usual, it is our old friend, Detective Dick Gumshoe, who is going to uh, describe the facts of the case. <laughs> and, and I love that um, with this, when the witness takes the stand, it's like the opposite of like uh, when Edgeworth was the prosecutor, where you'd have these kind of humorous scenes or like the witness would just like walk all over him and he couldn't even get them to like state his name uh <laughs> immediately like gumshoe's like afraid and intimidated by von karma he's like describe the incident now he's got that like animation where he like snaps his fingers i can't i can't really snap my fingers if i could whatever yeah and i love his finger snap animation because it does it has like an extra like little sharpness to it right yeah it's got, like this nice good, sound like, effect and a little flash like yeah, the the white, the like brief split second, like white flash where the screen goes blank, like really adds to it. Um, yeah, it's got some punch behind that a uh, finger snapping. <laughs> but yeah, he immediately takes control of the court proceedings, and yeah, kind of orders around Gumshoe, orders around the judge. You know, he tells the judge that his only thing that he needs to do is slam the gavel down and say guilty. You know, he's yeah, he's really sort of pulling his weight around. Exactly. Um, all right, so we get uh, Gumshoe on the stand. He shows the map of the scene of the crime, uses that to describe, you know, uh, basically what happened. We already know this, but this is... Yeah, Gumshoe uh, does this at the start of every case so far, um, or I guess at least... It, I think this is this is a useful summary. I actually like the way the game does this, where, um, you know, whether it's like Gumshoe describing it or, you know, talking to characters during, like, your investigation, sometimes they'll, like rehash things for like the player's benefit but i i actually appreciate that um they're very consistent with their details like yeah after replaying this game i was trying to see if there's any like contradictions i feel like the fact i don't know maybe i'm like beating a dead horse here but i, I love i feel like the fact that they do have such commitment to all the details and being consistent with everything that when you find the actual contradiction that they intended to do for you to find it's like that much more like satisfying it's not <laughs> i mean Takumi did set himself up for a pretty tall order when he wrote a game based around finding contradictions that he then 
really had to try avoiding having any actual contradictions elsewhere in the game. And I'd say, for the most part, he does a pretty good job of it. But yeah, I do appreciate that the start of pretty much all the trials I can remember. We usually have um, a cross-examination with Gumshoe where he gives us a summary of the case. And, you know, we have to find some sort of contradiction within that uh, cross-examination. So for this one, Gumshoe, he he gives us a pretty good, you know, six-statement summary of what happened. He shows mm-hmm. us a map of the incident. Um, yep. He says that it occurred on Christmas Eve around midnight. So like you, mm-hmm. like you said before, could have been a little before, a little after. We're not really yeah. too sure right now. Uh, there was one boat in the middle of Lake Gord, and there were two men mm-hmm. on that boat. Uh, and yep. then Lada had heard two pistols shot at around mm-hmm. 12, 10 a.m., and then yep. the boat returned to the rental shop. So one thing I kind of find kind of interesting about this sort of summary of events is that at current, in a way, we've kind of set this case up as a locked room mystery, right? Mm. As it is right now, as far as we know, this could have only happened on the boat and it could have only happened yeah. between the two men on the boat, right? Yeah. Um, And... Really, based on those circumstances, it could have only been Miles Edgeworth. So I feel like thinking of it as a locked room mystery is sort of a good way of framing this case in that in order to resolve it, you have to somehow break out of that locked room or find a way that this makes sense within the boundaries of it. So, yeah, that's that's what we get for the first cross-examination. One of the things, uh, the first statement, he says... uh, um, a man called the station around 30 minutes after midnight to report the crime. You can press this and it's like, Phoenix says, you received a call from a man, which actually kind of seems like a contradiction at first, since we know uh, the witness that we've met, Lada, is a woman. Uh, but I guess she wasn't the one who reported the crime. There was this second mystery witness uh, who we'll meet later. I think in, even in the previous day, uh, Gumshoe made a mention of this, that there was a substitution. Uh, there's going to be a different witness today. So I remember I pressed that statement specifically like, oh, man, I got him. This is a contradiction. And I was like, ah, well, I guess it's not. <laughs> um, yeah, that was continue. a point from the previous day's investigation that uh, there was a change in witness. I, I believe the term they used was uh, the previous witness canceled, which I didn't think was a yeah. thing that you could do. <laughs> You're just like, nah. I'm too busy today. It seemed like they wanted uh, Lotta Hart to be their decisive witness instead. So we know she'll make it, be making an appearance later. That's something later that could like only happen like in the Ace Attorney universe. It's like, hey, we need you to come testify. Nah, don't feel like it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, there was one uh, funny line that I wrote down where um, you you can press one of the statements uh, talking about like how long it took them to arrive at the scene of the crime, which was apparently three minutes. And... Um, this isn't important at all. It doesn't add to anything, but there's some banter back and forth where Phoenix writes like, oh, that's pretty fast. And uh, Gumshoe says, our motto for the month is get there quick. Uh, and of all the things to get mad about, Von Karma gets mad about this. And he says, detective, you will refrain from casually revealing department secrets. <laughs> we'll discuss this at your next salary review, <laughs> which like, I don't know. Yeah, that that the, you know cheesy department motto is a, a departmental secret um it I, I do actually like that interaction because it does demonstrate why gumshoe has an incentive to sort of follow von karma's orders 
But yeah, it's yeah. such a silly thing for him to get hung up on. And it seems like he does it <laughs> just to bully Gumshoe, which is like really yeah. sad because at this point, you know, personally, I feel very attached to Gumshoe. He's a very sweet character. And, you know, especially in this case, he's really on he's on team right right now. But yeah, he kind of has to play the part of, you know, the prosecutor's um, assistant because he has this salary incentive. Um, it is funny, too, just because, like, I feel like Edgeworth said similar things, but it was usually when it was, like, when he, like, legitimately, like, you know, messed something up, like, got details wrong that were, you know, substantive to the case yeah. here. It's, like, <laughs> it's just saying, like, the police department's motto. And it's right. Like, I feel like Yo, that was it, so, like, such an over-the-top thing. Poor Detective Gumshoe, he's got his endearing character trait of calling people pal, and he's just, like, this, he's, like, a puppy that's been, like, kicked, like, too many times. Like, he can't catch a break. Yeah, it's, like, Von Karma will dock Gumshoe's pay for revealing that, yeah. like, the police office has a potluck tomorrow. Whereas, like, <laughs> Gumshoe yeah. will, like, hand-write, like, decisive evidence, and Edgeworth will be like, eh, that's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So so if you press the next statement where um, Detective Gumshoe says, like, oh, that's where he found Edgeworth, um, <laughs> this part I thought was kind of funny. Um, Phoenix Wright will kind of ask some follow-up questions. He says, um, what was Mr. Edgeworth like when you saw him? And Gumshoe says... Uh, from what I saw, he looked pretty relaxed. Not like a murderer at all. <laughs> Von Karma objects to this, of course, and he says, Detective, the court requires the facts, not your opinion. And look, you know, everything we've seen about Von Karma so far is, you know, very over-the-top, you know, demanding acts. Like, he, you know, owns the courtroom, you know, bosses the judge around and everything like that, like, throws his weight around, to use your term. This is actually kind of fair. <laughs> Like, you know, if you have a witness who's saying things like, oh, yeah, he didn't look like a murderer to me. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be. You should stick to the facts and not say those opinions like that. Am I right? Am I giving Karma Von Karma too much credit here? No, that that is actually fair, especially as the prosecution for the case. You know, that probably yeah. isn't something his witness should be saying. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it, that is a, a statement that I feel like, you know, we would see Edgeworth, you know, let it slide or something, whereas Von Karma is more on top of it. Um, yeah. but otherwise from this cross-examination, um, the key details that we do actually get from pressing Gumshoe is that there was a single bullet found within the victim's body and it was a fatal yes. shot to the heart and that the murder weapon, a pistol was found bearing Miles Edgeworth's fingerprints. Um, and we actually do progress this cross-examination by pressing those last two points. Mm -hmm. And then once that's sort of out in the court, um, Von Karma steps in and he asserts that the gun, the bullet, and the fingerprints are all decisive evidence against Miles Edgeworth. And then uh, mm -hmm. we do get, as we will get in every Ace Attorney game, an explanation of ballistic markings. Oh, man, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Um so hold on, I, I did write down, uh, I think you might have covered all this already, but for, for our listeners at home who are playing the Ace Attorney drinking game, you'll probably have to, to drink a few times for this, for the like back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back, like reveals or a piece of evidence that make our case look even worse, as if things, you know, didn't already look bad enough for Edgeworth, you know, like you described it, kind of a locked uh, door 
kind of murder mystery where, you know, you had these two men on the boat where like he was the only one who could have done it. Uh, now we've learned they were clear fingerprints from Mr. Edgeworth's right hand. Uh, and, um, yeah, the, as you said, we get this, uh, description. We now know that it was definitely this pistol, uh, used in the murder. The, uh, ballistic markings on the bullet confirm it. I think, uh, oh yeah. And then we get, um, <laughs> we get the, the whole shtick where Maya asks what ballistic markings are. This is, uh, where she can be the stand-in character for the player where, you know, if anyone doesn't know, then, you know, if you've never seen an episode of, uh, CSI or like Law and Order, uh, they'll describe to you what ballistic markings are. <laughs> oh, you know what? Th this part was actually kind of funny the way they explained it. Do you remember? Do you remember who it was that explained ballistic markings? <laughs> uh, I believe it's the judge, isn't it? It is because um, Von Karma. <laughs> this is funny because it's just such a good display of like all these characters, kind of like unique personalities. You get Maya, like the super you know bubbly optimistic like you know player stand-in who's like oh man what are ballistic markings and then it's like um <laughs> you know it goes to von karma like the super serious big bad evil guy and he's like losing his patience he's like ah tisk tisk i guess i'll have to explain and he goes actually judge you do it <laughs> he's yeah. just again ordering the judge around and poor judge just like does whatever he says so he ends up uh, being the one that explains it. But in any case, we learn what ballistic markings are. So we got that going for us. Yeah, of course, ballistic markings are basically the fingerprint of a gun. Um, mm -hmm. The barrel of a gun, from what I understand, has you know little notches in it that carve marks into a bullet as it escapes the muzzle. And uh, you can basically match a bullet with a gun to determine yeah. which gun it was fired from. From what I understand, in real life, there is a sort of registry where each gun has its unique ballistic markings, like, cataloged somewhere, and they can be matched up. I think that might vary from state to state, but I I'm not quite sure the specifics. One thing I am aware of, though, is that, uh, quite famously, both fingerprinting and ballistic markings are error-prone forensic methods that have known shortcomings and defects that make them not as entirely reliable as you know, law and order and ace attorney might see might make them out to be. However, yeah. within the world of ace attorney, we are to understand that these are, you know, we're supposed to take it at face value, right? That these are completely accurate forensic methods. Um, and yeah, as you said, this paints a really bad picture for our case. It's almost comically bad how how bad it is at this point. We have Miles Edgeworth and the murder victim on a boat. In the middle of the lake, there's a bullet in yeah. the victim's heart. There is a gun mm -hmm. that shot the bullet. That gun is in Miles's hand. There is nobody else around at all. Like, yeah, it is just like comically bad. Keeps looking worse and worse. Yeah. And then even the judge says, you know, honestly, I could declare a verdict at this point. And mind you, we're like two minutes into the, like we yeah. just walked into the courtroom we had like our first witness uh testimony and it's like already the judge is like yeah i could declare him guilty at this point yeah <laughs> and, uh, for perspective we're moving into mm -hmm. the next scene in the uh defendant lobby the judge wants yeah. to hear from their witness before he can sound a verdict and we go into a break in the defendant lobby according to the title card in the defendant lobby scene it is now 11:09 a.m it has been one hour <laughs> And and this case is already in shambles for the defense. Man, that's like, 
I didn't even think about that. It's I feel like it didn't seem like Gumshoe talked for like an hour. That was like two minutes. Maybe he yeah. talked very slow. There's probably some like bullshit like municipal proceedings that, you know, goes on before the opening statements and yeah, maybe maybe they cut out some of that stuff. They probably they probably have to swear in, you know, mm-hmm. all the witnesses and uh, you know, legal shit. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to mention this uh before we go to this uh brief recess. The the reason we take the recess is um Von Karma declares <laughs> that the court oh is my going God. to go into a recess. That's He's right. like I'm feeling a bit fatigued. We shall now take a recess which will last 10 minutes. <laughs> and it's like the judge is like uh all right. <laughs> I guess we will, yeah. Yeah. Just bid Karma, Von Karma says, just bang your flimsy gavel and get on with it. So so we end up taking a 10-minute recess. Um, so yeah, th- things are looking pretty bad. Um, we're now in the defendant lobby. Uh, <laughs> Phoenix is like, Edgeworth, we, what's going on? Your fingerprints were on the murder weapon? <laughs> Poor Edgeworth is like, um... Mm. <laughs> Edgeworth is like, yeah, I did hold the gun. But he does reassert that he did not shoot the victim. Which, like, I don't know. I get why they're doing this. Like, they need to, you know, make you out to be, like, such, like, the underdog in the beginning. They need to have the case look really bad for you. They need to have, you know, the drama of, like, the Ace Attorney games where they reveal things in court that you didn't know. Especially, you know, things like this where... You know, your client's fingerprints were on the murder weapon, things that make it look like even worse for you. And I get, I sympathize with Edgeworth, this poor guy is in this very, you know, stressful situation where he's caught at the scene of the crime, arrested, accused of this murder, and like, sure. But also, he's like this famous lawyer, like, he he should know how these things work, like, he didn't think to, like, tell his defense attorney this. I don't know. Edgeworth is not being a great client is what I'm saying. <laughs> you, you know what? That's a really good point. He is not giving Phoenix too much help here. Yeah. Like, he's not even giving you the time of day. <laughs> uh, though he does actually provide some interesting information in this scene. And that's that he remarks mm-hmm. that uh, while he did not shoot the victim, he did hear a gunshot from close yes. by. Almost as if the man shot himself. Yeah. So he, he says he does. Yeah. So Edgeworth confirms that, yes, it was him in the boat with the victim. That he heard a gunshot close by. And at the time, he thought the victim had shot himself, which is the first time we're hearing this. Phoenix, of course, is very surprised. He's like, wait, you mean it was a suicide? <laughs> and yeah. like, again, all these things would have been great to share with your attorney, you know, before your day in court. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then finally, the other thing we get in this defendant lobby scene is um, sort of another refrain we've been seeing from Maya throughout this case. Yes. And that's that uh, she she's sad. Right. She feels mm-hmm. useless. She feels unhelpful because no matter how hard she tries, she still can't reach Mia. Yeah, this this part in particular, I know that you I like the word you used it's a refrain. It's come up several times that. She's kind of lost her summoning powers. She can't uh, summon Mia to help them, which, you know, I think was good kind of storytelling. You you lose your kind of ace in the hole and you have to, you know, figure it out yourself since you can't uh, summon Mia for help. But yeah, poor Maya. She's so sad. She's really struggling. And this scene, uh, you get a dialogue option. You get a choice here. Maya says, if I can't call my sister, I might as well not be here, right? And you get to say either, no, I need you here or yeah, you're useless. 
Abby, which of these did you pick? <sighs> so actually, the option, yeah, you're useless. Like, it sounds like it would probably lead into like Phoenix trying to do like a funny joke or like a bit. But it actually mm-hmm. is a really sad dialogue option. Yeah. Um. So Phoenix says, uh, well, actually. And then in his inner monologue, he says, you don't know law. You don't have any trial experience or techniques. Yeah, you're pretty much useless. But I can't say that. And then mm-hmm. Maya says, it's okay, Nick. You don't have to say anything. Your face said it for you. Like, that's such a sad interaction. And yeah. Like, I don't know. There's a part of me that's almost offended that Phoenix would feel that way in his inner monologue. You know, I I couldn't bring myself to select that dialogue. Yeah, even I only know about it from reading like the the transcript on like the Ace Attorney wiki, like in game. I could not bring myself to say you're useless to poor Maya. This girl has been through so much trauma watching her older sister get murdered like you're faithful assistant i'm like no no i couldn't do that yeah (laughs) could not could not choose the mean dialogue option yeah and 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 especially in a game like ace attorney where like 99 times out of 100 like your choices don't matter (laughs) like the right it's all just flavor text you know like the main story continues you can't you know soft lock yourself by choosing like the wrong option but i was like i still couldn't do it i'm like no no (laughs) i can't be mean to poor maya And in either case, no matter what dialogue choice you pick, it does end with you going into, you know, the next section of the trial with uh, Maya still feeling very down about herself, still feeling like she's not helpful, feeling like a useless assistant. You know, she's basically placed her entire worth in Team Right uh, (laughs) as her position in Team Right as whether or not she can contact her sister. To to her, that's the only thing she offers, and she can't do that. So... Yeah, she's feeling really down, but and I, I like I like this um, kind of details I notice on like you know second or third playthrough or whatever. Uh, not to to spoil what's about to happen, but um, I like how they're kind of setting up uh, Maya's redemption here by like you know establishing this uh, feeling of guilt she has. She feels like you know unhelpful, or whatever. So more on that later. Yeah, yeah, she could really use a W right now. There, there was one other funny scene uh, during this uh, recess. <laughs> <laughs> I liked where um, Phoenix is like, you know, eventually whatever dialogue you choose, um, you know, Maya ends up feeling sad and he kind of tries to give her like a pep talk afterwards. And Phoenix says, oh, you know, I've just been lucky with these first few trials, you know, but you never know when my luck is going to run out. And it's like, Edgeworth is standing right here. This man is on trial for murder. And he's like, ah, you know, I could get unlucky and lose this time. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that he would like say that in front of his client. Well, yeah, and then Edgeworth speaks up and he's like, don't jinx this case any worse than it already is. You know, Edgeworth gets upset about that. Which is just like, I don't know, I feel like this is like back to back, just like silliness because you have Edgeworth who's supposed to be, you know, A, a super serious character and B, you know, this famous, you know, very successful, ruthless, you know, prosecutor. And he apparently you know, understands the law very well, but I was also superstitious enough to think that you could jinx the case by like saying right. something uh, in the lobby during this recess. I don't know. This is just all around it. Well, you know, not to drag on this like whatever 10 minute scene any longer, but I-, I feel like it is really interesting in this case with Edgeworth's characterization is that, you know, especially lines like that with him saying, don't jinx this case. 
you kind of start to pull apart the seams between Edgeworth as a person and Edgeworth mm-hmm. as the person he built himself to be under Von Karma's mentoring. Oh, because that's those are a two, really good point. Yeah, right. Those are two different people. There's the person Edgeworth thinks he has to be under Von Karma's yeah. teaching, the ruthless prosecutor, the one who forges evidence and updates autopsy reports. And then Edgeworth as the person he actually is, the person that yeah. his father raised him to be, you know, the person who's, you know, emotional, who believes in superstitions, who, you know, cares about the truth, who cares about people and his friends you know, who gets afraid by earthquakes, you know, that Edgeworth. They're two different people. And I feel like this case kind of starts to pull apart and then yeah. continues to pull those two people apart entirely. No, I'm glad you brought that up. This case really does like humanize Edgeworth because like, yeah, up until now, you know, as you said, there's like the person he felt he needed to be. But then it's also like, yeah, I'm not even convinced, like, the stuff we learned about him in the beginning was, like, entirely true. Like, there were all these rumors about foraging evidence. I don't think he ever actually did forge evidence. Like, I I'm not aware of, of that. I kind of like to think that is true. What? Yeah, I, I think it actually makes his character more interesting if he is the kind of person who goes that far into his huh. prosecutorship to, yeah, to, to be that, like ambitious to be that driven that yeah he would forge evidence that he would you know strong arm other people in the legal system that you know he would go for these underhanded techniques because that's just how much you know that's how deep he is in it um maybe i don't know like strong arming people kind of like using his influence like uh, yeah sure like i almost kind of draw the line at like forging evidence and again whatever this is all speculation but I, I don't think he would just because um, during Turnabout Samurai, like, he kind of, like, he, he did, like, the, the heel face turns, like, you know, the kayfabe or whatever uh, fell where, like, you know, once he knew that, like, your client was innocent, like, he actually did, like, care about the truth and he kind of, like, took your side. I feel like he would would not – well, maybe it, maybe he would forge evidence if he thought the client was guilty. I don't know. I, I like to think he wouldn't, but you like to think he would. So yeah. listeners, write in. Tell us whether you think Miles Edgeworth ever uh, actually forged evidence. Yeah, how much of a bastard was Miles Edgeworth in the four years he was practicing law before Phoenix came it, came on the scene? I think that's interesting when like you and I will like disagree on something. Yeah. I'm on team I'm on team did not forge evidence. <laughs> I'm on team Miles was a bastard prior to this game. <laughs> Uh, all right well well so we have to meet our second witness yeah so uh this is where uh miss lotta hart takes the stand um we get her introduction um she talks about how she's a research student at university um and uh von karma demands that she uh tell us what she saw and don't add anything trivial or subjective Lada has a good response. She says, uh, y'all need to learn some manners. And fair. <laughs> She's not wrong. Von Karma probably should learn some manners. Um, all right. So we get her uh, testimony, which is six statements long. Um, I'll probably just go through this because it's pretty short. She says um, it was Christmas Eve, uh, just after midnight. She was in her car. 
Uh, she heard a bang coming from the lake. Um, when she looked out her car window, she saw two gents in a boat. Uh, then there was another bang. And finally, she says, there wasn't nary a thing on the lake but that boat. So this cross-examination, we progress by just pressing every single statement, mm-hmm. which um, is also how we progress the previous cross-examination as well, for what it's worth. Um, That's how I progress every cross-examination. Always be pressing. <laughs> always ABP, always be pressing. That's how you get through this game. If you, Hey, yeah. if you want a perfect record like Von Karma, mm-hmm. always start by pressing every statement before yeah. <laughs> submitting evidence. Hey, this has been this has been game tips with Misha Nabi. Hi. This this has been law school with Misha Nabi. If you if you want to pass the bar exam and be licensed to practice law in the state of whatever state you live in, remember to press all the witness statements before you present evidence. Yeah. The 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 judges love that one. But yeah, we get uh we get a few interesting details by pressing her uh her statements, right? Um, we can see that she seems suspicious, right? Lada herself seems like kind of uncomfortable by a few of the topics, which is illustrated by her sprite animations, right? By her body language. Um, in particular, she seems cagey whenever the topic of her research comes up, her meteorology research. Um, Mm -hmm. and she also seems uncertain about how clearly she saw the boat and, um, how closely she seemed to be watching the, uh, the lake. Well, didn't uh, Grossberg even bring that up in like the previous he did. day when you're investigating? He's like, I would be suspicious of that witness of yours. <laughs> yeah, he did. Which was good on you, Grossberg. Yeah, it's, it feels like the the most thought Grossberg has put into something since we've met him. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't actually seem like that confident of an attorney. Like he's got this like reputation for being a really good lawyer, but he's got he hasn't read any of the legal books on his shelf. He's yeah. always like out of the office. Dude's like always on vacation and just like wearing fancy suits and buying like gold plated lighters. And it's like I I feel like he maybe was sharp at one point, right? And maybe yeah. had a few like high profile wins under his belt. And then yeah. I think he kind of just rode that, right? And got really complacent and really lazy. And yeah, he's just kind of coasting towards yeah. like retirement. <laughs> but I, I, I think when he rubs two brain cells together and like starts thinking about something, like he can he can pull out some deductions. Like I don't think yeah. he's a complete buffoon, but I think in his yeah. in his old age, he's really just kind of been beaten down by the system at this point. Yeah, no, I agree with that. He's not a complete buffoon. He's like buffoon adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> I love buffoon adjacent. That's great. Yeah. All right. So hold on. Let's get back to, back to the to the current case here. So we got um, Lada's photo. Uh, Von Karma very demandingly said the judge accepted his evidence. Uh, so we got that. Um, which I want to make sure I'm not getting these photos mixed up. This is the first photo we get, and it just is very far away and blurry, and shows the two right. kind of silhouettes on the, on the boat, right? All right, cool. Yep. And uh, then there's a kind of funny, like, fake out coming up where, um, and I, I kind of like this because they always want to, you know, establish the stakes, like, keep you on your toes. But it's like the judge is like, very well, the court finds the defendant. <laughs> He's about to declare a guilty verdict uh, where Phoenix Wright gets to, to say his trademark uh, objection and uh, correctly point out that um, it's like, wait a minute, shouldn't I be allowed to, like, cross-examine this witness before you? 
declare a verdict. And it's like, yeah, Phoenix Wright is also able to uh, rub two brain cells together. Occasionally, he uses some training that he received in law school to point out things like, yeah, I should be allowed to cross-examine this witness. Um, oh, I did. Re- I, I think the only other thing I wrote down from this uh, interaction... I don't know why, but I liked this. When uh, you get Lada's photo, uh, Von Karma says, this photo is worth a thousand words, and they all read guilty. Which, you know, my criticism of Von Karma aside, that was actually kind of a poetic line. So hey, You know what? It's pretty poetic, and it's a pretty good burn. Gotta hand it to the guy. Yeah. Gotta give it to him there. Well, he's had 40 years of experience, like, coming up with sick burns. You know what? I, I bet you he's fucking used that line before, too. Yeah. Yeah, probably. You know what? Yeah. I bet you I bet you Mr. Judge rolls his eyes at that line where he's like, okay, yeah. You do this every time you submit photos into evidence. This is why I love talking to you about these games, because like you completely like flipped the way I'm like thinking about these characters. I thought the judge was, you know, like terrified of Von Karma, and now I'm just imagining him as you said, like rolling his eyes, like, ah oh, man, it's this guy again. Been dealing with this knucklehead for forty years. Right. Right. Like 40 years is a long ass time. Like surely the judge knows every trick Von Karma is going to pull. Yeah. Oh, and then so he, here's another funny thing. So so you're about to make a very reasonable request to exercise your right as the defense attorney to cross examine this witness. And here, here's what Von Karma does. He declares that uh, you will fail to find anything meaningful. And then um, if your cross examination doesn't reveal anything of substance, I will hold you in contempt of court. And I'm like, is that what contempt of court is for like providing your client with a defense? (laughs) Yeah. So Abby, explain contempt of court to me. Maybe I don't understand. Sure. So actually, yeah, I can. Basically, uh, contempt of court is one of the main sanctions that the the court itself has to place on participants within the uh, proceedings. Essentially, it kind of is the way that it is treated in Ace Attorney. If a member of the court behaves in a way that the judge uh, thinks disrupts proceedings, then, yeah, he can hold that person in contempt of court. Um, Generally, it is used for uh, disruptive behavior or a unwillingness to cooperate with the procedure. Um, you know, if somebody's causing an outburst or yelling or attacking other members of the court or, you know, otherwise causing an outburst, then, yeah, they could be held in contempt. It's a real thing that happens. Um, so, okay, so hold on. I get that. I'm not disputing that contempt of court is a real thing. I'm saying. <laughs> right. Whether or not it is applicable to this. Right. If it is applicable to this situation where a where the lead defense attorney is exercising their right as the defense in cross-examining a witness, I don't think that's right. (laughs) Yeah, where it's like that I don't think is right. I guess Von Karma could probably reason that um, pursuing a baseless cross-examination is disrupting, you know, court proceedings or is wasting time. You know, he could probably make a case for that. But even that, to me, seems kind of tenuous. Yeah. So, whatever. It, again, yeah. this is more like ace attorney logic. That's what contempt of court is. Von Karma asserts that if Phoenix can't find anything in this uh, in this cross-examination, Phoenix will be held in contempt of court. 
So that's the that's the stakes they uh, they lay out. Whether or not that would ever happen in a real court, who's to say? Yeah, and whatever. As we said many times, Ace Attorney isn't about the law or, or even, even reality. reality. <laughs> so you know, whatever. It's fine. This is probably not. Yes, contempt of court is a real thing. This is probably not how it would be applied in the real world. But I'm actually okay with this because, um, yeah, it sets up the stakes and yeah, kind of keeps us on our toes, whatever. So it's fine. Um, continuing on here, yeah, cross examination begins. You, as always, have the opportunity to press any of her statements uh, for more uh, information. I'm not sure if this whole contempt of court. I think that might have just been like flavor text. I'm not sure it had any actual like effect on like the gameplay. I think you are still no. allowed to press any of these statements. I would no. the first time I played through this, I was worried. I'm like, oh geez, if I press the wrong statement, am I gonna be like thrown out of this? <laughs> am I gonna lose? Um, but I think you are still just like allowed to to press everything. Yeah. In fact, you to progress in this cross examination, you actually have to press like half of the statements anyway. So. It, there's nothing that actually disincentivizes you from doing that. Yeah. So a couple of funny statements. Um, if you press a uh, lot of heart on, you know, the statement she was in her car, you can, you know, ask her some more questions about that. Why she was camping. You get to press further if you want. You can ask about her research. And at this point, um, Von Karma objects because he thinks you're going down this rabbit hole that has nothing to do with the case. So Von Karma just says, I object to this line of questioning. And then he, for his own objection, Von Karma says, objection sustained. And the judge is like, it's like, no, hold on a minute. I'm the one who gets to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I just imagine that not as like the judge being offended or anything, but it's him being like, hey, I'm the one who gets to bang the fancy gavel. <laughs> I don't know. The judge just kind of reminds me of a child sometimes. But yeah, you can, uh, if you want, you know, you can press all the statements that she gave uh, previously. Um, is this the part? I don't think there are any actual contradictions here. Yeah. So I, I, I jumped the gun a little earlier when I was talking about this. But yeah, basically the key details you get from this cross-examination is uh, it's really more about the information you don't get, right? Basically, <laughs> it's like how we, jazz is about the notes you don't play. Ace Attorney is about the objections you don't sustain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, from the, the last three statements, uh, basically what the game wants you to find is that um, Lada gets very uncomfortable at certain details. Right. That yes. she gets uncomfortable when you talk about her research um, and that she appears to be very uncertain about how clearly she actually saw the boat. Right. Yeah. Um, and that it seemed like her focus was on something other than the boat itself. Those are sort of the three key details you're supposed to get from this. And once <laughs> you press those statements and get that information, it sort of leads into the uh, it leads out of the cross examination and into the next section where um Basically, Phoenix doesn't seem like he has anything, right? Yeah, this is something that comes up often in like Phoenix, right? Or I was going to say Ace Attorney Games, but Phoenix, right? Specifically, where like you seem to have, you know, run out of ammunition. There's nothing else you can press, no contradictions. He has that, you know, sprite animation where you have your spiky hair, you put your head down in your hands on the desk. You're like, ah, it looks hopeless until <laughs> you see uh, the. Uh, one of the characters uses the famous catchphrase from the Ace Attorney games. You hear someone go, hold it. Judge says, who is that? And we're about to get a Maya Faye redemption. Yes, it was Maya Faye. 
who held mm-hmm. up the court. Yeah, this is great. Um, so she basically, uh, she tells Lada Hart straight up, your testimony stinks. She says, you know, it's unclear whether you were actually looking at the lake. Um, it's not clear whether you saw Edgeworth. And she just, you know, tears into Lada Hart, you know. Like what she's saying seems kind of harsh or whatever, but also she's not wrong. Like her testimony was kind of vague. Um, so she goes, you know, tell us the truth. This is a matter of life and death. And um yeah, it's it's something that I really admire about Maya. We we've seen mm-hmm. this with her before where like she's kind of not afraid to just tell it like it is, right? Yeah. She had a scene like this with uh D Vasquez in the previous case where like you know, when she is clear in her convictions, she will just say like straight up to someone like, "Hey, that's bullshit," you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, your testimony stinks. Like, how am I the only one who notices this? Like, you know. Yeah. Am I is the greatest character? She well, so so many of these characters are so you know like one dimensional. You'll get, and it kind of makes sense to do this for something for like minor characters or whatever. Um, but Maya is just like the greatest. She's like the opposite of like a one dimensional character. She like, yeah, it's it, at times like it seems like inconsistent because she'll be you know super like scared and timid or you know super like bubbly and like enthusiastic or you know she'll have this outburst where she like calls someone out and I like the way you said it, you know, when she is like true to her conviction, when she really like believes in herself, like she will like, you know, stand up for you. And it's like, I don't know. I appreciate that about her. It's like, um, I don't know. It's like, not like a contradiction. It's not that she's, you know, inconsistent. It's like, she actually has like depth to her character. So that, that's what I appreciate about Maya. Yeah. So she demands that lot of, clarify if she actually saw edgeworth on the lake or not that is sort of her her demand to lada yeah so um at this point uh von karma objects uh as he promised before he demands the judge declare contempt of court which like this almost seems like more reasonable to have like an outburst from someone who's you know not the attorney Almost like badgering the witness, saying, not asking questions, but saying, like, your testimony stinks. Like, this I could almost see being justified as, like, contempt of court. What what Von Karma, like, originally threatened was, like, if you ask a question and it's a dead end, I'm going to hold you in contempt. I'm like, I don't think that's what contempt of court is, but whatever. Uh, The judge says, I'm sorry, but you were warned, which, yeah, all right, I guess you were. Um, So the bailiff uh, escorts Maya out of the courtroom. Or no, sorry, uh, I skipped one detail. Um, he is about to hold Phoenix Wright in contempt, and then Maya uh, makes the convincing argument that she was the one who had the outburst and that she should face the consequences. She says Nick is innocent, um, so she kind of takes one for the team and, um, you know, is escorted out of the courtroom. So so Phoenix Wright is left on his own um, without his uh, trusty assistant by his side. Yeah, it's... It's legitimately an emotional moment, you know, Maya, mm-hmm. Maya is just like so passionate in her convictions. And yeah, she puts herself on the line and, she, you know, there's this sort of like parting scene where, you know, she's like, all right, Phoenix, you're on your own now. You can you can handle this as as she kind of gets hauled out of the courtroom and presumably placed into the detention center from here or whatever. Yeah. So I actually like this next part um you know after as maya's leaving um phoenix Wright says 
did you just hear did you hear what uh ms hart just said uh she said that she clearly saw mr edgeworth which is a statement that was not in her previous testimony and therefore phoenix wright has the right to cross-examine her again based on this new information i'm not a lawyer i don't know if that's true if that's how it works in the real world but i really appreciated this because regardless in universe I always appreciate the rare uh, opportunities when, like, Phoenix Wright actually makes use of his law degree. <laughs> like, yeah. So, all right, seems legit. Um, so because Lana Hart has presented um, new information, you are allowed to do another uh, cross-examination. So what seemed to be, uh, you know, a completely hopeless situation, the judge was ready to declare his verdict, and now uh, the trial continues. And and this is another rare uh, instance where the judge uh, stands up to Von Karma, where um, Von Karma is like basically demanding, he's like, judge, sustain my objection. And the judge says, I'm sorry, but I cannot. Um, so he yeah. gives you the right to uh, conduct your cross-examination. Yeah. Again, the judge, you know, isn't as much <laughs> of a pushover when the truth really is on the line. Right. And I like yeah. that about him. He does exercise yeah. critical thinking. He is fair and just when, you know, actual genuine contradictions are presented. And I kind of like what happens next is it actually just jumps straight into her continued cross-examination. Right. There's oh, one like, thing, just before before we get into the next oh, yeah, examination, we just in case I didn't point this out, I know we hinted at it earlier. I was saying Maya's about to have a redemption arc. I really do appreciate that um it was her outburst that allowed this trial to continue. And, um, you know, she gets escorted out of the courtroom, but uh, she was able to help you um, without having to summon uh, her sister Mia. And I thought that was really nice. That, yes, um, that, yeah, that's like the key sort of like character development. Like you described the the redemption of Maya yeah. Faye is that, yeah, it's something very definite, very concrete that she contributed to the trial. Exactly. All right. So, sorry to interrupt, but now you were about to go into the next statement. Yeah, of the we go straight into cross examination three without like interruption. It's it's pretty cool the way the game does it, and yeah. um, it is just a single statement. Lada yep. says, "I saw it clear as day. The man on the boat was Mister Edgeworth." So mm-hmm. she says that she's putting it on the record that she saw Miles Edgeworth under oath. She says that she saw Miles Edgeworth. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so let's see. You just get a single statement here, as you said. If you press it, um, you can ask Lada about the other man in the boat. But before she can give you any information about that, Von Karma just kind of objects and cuts her off and says, like, you know, you said you were going to find a contradiction. Like, you need to find a contradiction. You need to present evidence. So, so um, I actually kind of love this. The previous two cross-examinations were fairly lengthy, six-statement cross-examinations that you needed to press multiple statements to progress. And then it brings you into this third one that's one statement, and if you press it, the game slaps you with a penalty. It's... (laughs) awesome it's awesome oh, the way i forgot they do about that. that yeah you're right you you do you do get a penalty <laughs> the, the game says nah bitch you gotta yeah. present you gotta present evidence stump which, up give us some evidence which i don't think we ever even talked about penalties for the benefit of any of our listeners who are not actually playing the phoenix right games uh penalties occur when you present you know typically when you present a wrong piece of evidence that doesn't actually point out a contradiction the judge will assign you a penalty if you get too many penalties which i believe is 
five, uh, then yep. the trial ends. Your client is declared guilty. Uh, so we uh, we will actually get a penalty if you uh, press this statement. I forgot about that. So yeah, and if you run through all your any penalties, punches here. you just go to your last save. So typically, if well, you're a new true. player, yeah. If you're a new player, you should get into the habit of saving frequently and yes. save scumming if necessary. Always but in be this saving. case, always be saving. In this case, it's yeah. not too difficult. We just have to present the lake photo. Um, yeah, taking out which, taking a line from Nickelback. Uh, Phoenix says, "Look at this photograph." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, Phoenix asserts that Lada could not have seen Miles Edgeworth in the dense fog, mm-hmm. which Von yes. Karma. Uh, specifically says that he told her not to mention that she saw Miles Edgeworth. This is a real, like, my cousin Vinny moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. The, the photograph without your glasses through this, you know, dusty window through all these big bushy looking things. I mean, I mean bushes. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but Lada so says, like, no matter. That's fine. She'll testify about how she saw Edgeworth. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads us right into the fourth cross-examination. Yeah. So, like, what seemed to be, like, a done deal is now, like, going to this, you know, longer uh, cross-examination here. Right, right. It's, you know, it starts out with a fairly decisive, yeah, I saw him. And then it's like, well, there's all this fog, so now she has to elaborate, right? And she does agree. She says that, you know, it was a cold night, the fog was super thick, uh, and that she was uh, hanging out in her car, you know, because it was a cold night. She had already set up her automatic camera. But after she heard the first shot, uh, she looked out the window with her binoculars. Yeah. So that's what she has to say. <laughs> she goes, see, no problem. Yeah. And it's like, uh, well, some problem. Oh, yeah, some problem. I also like the way she described uh, the fog. She said it was thick as grits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to evoke the My Cousin Vinny reference again, oh, uh, geez, there you go. Right. We got our grits. We got our magic grits. Um, there is actually <laughs> one line from this cross-examination that I really like. Uh, that's if you press the first statement, right? Um, mm-hmm. It ends up with a lot of saying, you hasty Yankee types that never find a gal where I'm from. And the judge <laughs> says, defense attorneys have trouble with that as it is. Oh, geez. I completely missed that line. That's a- Like, the judge... The judge really just said Phoenix Wright got no game. And listen, he's not wrong. (laughs) First of all, he's not wrong. Second of all, didn't have to blow up his spot like that. Third of all, the judge absolutely fucks. He does. um, 100%. Well, there's evidence for that. We know he has a a grandchild. (laughs) There is evidence. So so the, the judge fucks and his descendants also fuck. Okay. The judge fucks and we have evidence for it. Case closed. <laughs> Case closed. We have solved the mystery. Yep. All right. Turnabout goodbyes is over. We did it. The judge fucks. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure <laughs> was the, the reason that this court was convened in the first place. Yeah, um, to determine whether or not the judge fucks. Anyway. I also just want to point out during this whole cross-examination where you're talking back and forth about like the binoculars and all that, it's sad that like... Maya's not in the courtroom with you anymore that she got dragged away and held in contempt because you don't get the the funny like banter between uh, Phoenix Wright and Maya whenever you, oh, you know, press true. things. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it, there's definitely an absence felt without Maya here. Um, yeah. But yeah, so 
basically with this uh, cross-examination, right, we're supposed to press on the binoculars, right? Because Phoenix is going to remark that, hey, kind of weird to use binoculars for stargazing, right? Yeah, you need a telescope for that. Right. And the camera's kind of weird, too. He he finally brings out there into the court that, like, yeah, it's kind of weird that you have a camera pointing at the lake, right? And, yeah. um, I am so embarrassed to admit I didn't notice that, like, on my first playthrough. That, like, yeah, it is weird. If you're looking at shooting stars, the camera shouldn't be pointed at the lake. It should be pointed at the sky. It's one of those things that, like, seemed, like, super obvious, like, in yeah. retrospect. There, there is so much. There is so much that I I did not catch playing the, these games the first time through. You know, yeah. I this is why I'm a good um a, a good participant in the mystery genre because I'm yeah. so dumb. I never see any of this shit coming. Oh yeah, it's great. It's super entertaining. You know, yeah. every every revelation is is like a fucking you know mind blow to me because I just don't <laughs> I just don't know shit. But <laughs> anyway, you you're supposed to present Lada's camera to this statement mm-hmm. about um why the camera's kind of weird. And yeah. um yeah, that's that's when Phoenix points out that um the camera's pointed at the lake, not the sky. Uh mm-hmm. how could she have been photographing shooting stars if that were the case? And that's when Lada, you know, she finally concedes, you know, and she she tells you about the true nature of her business at Gord Lake. Yeah. So it, I realized that like embarrassingly late, but then it's like as soon as they point that out, it's like, yeah, why was it point at the lake? And it's like, oh, my God, she was looking for Gordy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All that's right. exactly it. Yep. So that, Phoenix shows the, reveal. He shows the article of uh, Gordy at Gord Lake um, and, and asserts that Lada was, in fact, uh, at Gord Lake to look for Gordy, the uh, fabled sea creature that lives in Gord Lake. So now <laughs> another uh Ace Attorney drinking game. If you're playing along at home, uh, you get to take a drink for the witness being allowed to revise uh, their testimony. Yes, because as um, Von Karma astutely points out, whether or not Lotta was looking mm-hmm. at shooting stars or looking at Gordy, that is a pretty cool revelation, but it doesn't mm-hmm. actually change the facts of the case. Like, mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> You know, it it doesn't change that she saw what she saw, supposedly, or that Mm -hmm. her camera caught what it caught. You know, those cases are still true. Um, This is another thing that I feel like, excuse me, happens a lot in like Ace Attorney games. Like you go go down this rabbit hole of like finding all these contradictions and you like learn something about the witness. And it's like, it's like, aha, I got you. And it's like, oh, shoot, I didn't actually prove a darn thing. Like my client still could have committed this murder. Yeah. All right. So, were there were there any more details that I skip, or are we about to go into uh, her next <clears throat> witness testimony here? Yeah the the final testimony. Is this the final one? It Jeez. is. Yep. Oh wow. So this is where she says. I think it's. Um, uh, this is pretty long. It's eight statements long, right? So she yep. says. Um, she is not actually a research student at a university. She reveals she is an investigative photographer. Um, she's trying to get a big scoop by getting a picture of Gordy. Uh, that's why she was camping out on the lake. She says, uh, but that's all I was hiding. Um, when I heard the bang, I looked straight out at the lake. Uh, there wasn't much else to look at, so I just watched the boat the whole time. Then I saw a flash uh, near one of the man's uh, hands. 
That's when I heard another gunshot. And she said she was looking uh, right at the boat the whole time, cross my heart and hope to fry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, Von Karma <laughs> at this point says um, the fact that she was, you know, a photographer, you know, uh, searching the lake for Gordy as opposed to a research student at university. He claims this has no bearing on the case and he wants to uh, end the trial without wasting any more time on another pointless uh, cross-examination. And at this point, it's becoming increasingly clear that Von Karma is not just, you know, kind of impatient or demanding or whatever. It's starting to seem like he wants to, you know, wrap this case up because he's hiding something. <laughs> um, even Phoenix Wright says that he says, I know Von Karma's up to something here. Um, he doesn't want me to cross-examine her, uh, but why? I'm going through uh, my notes here on this uh, cross-examination. There was one thing <laughs> that I wrote down that I thought was kind of funny. Um, if you press the statement where she says uh, she's an investigative uh, photographer, um, this is where she uh, reveals that she um, had one other kind of uh, famous photo that she was known for. Do you remember what this photo was of? It was a UFO. A UFO. <laughs> A UFO. <laughs> Which is how with her uh, mystery accent, how she pronounces a uh, UFO. This is like <laughs> yet another uh, My Cousin Vinny moment. <laughs> it's like the Utes. <laughs> the UFOs. Yeah. Oh, sorry, now, Your Honor. The two youths. Sorry. <laughs> Go on. I-, I feel like we don't even ever really get any sort of follow-up or elaboration on her famous UFO picture. Um, But it is something she references a few times that that's how she got her fame as an investigative reporter was in her her picture of a UFO, Um, which honestly, I'd be really interested in what exactly it is that, you know, she found. Um, That would be funny. And like if a future game deals with like a UFO or whatever, if they could like tie it back to Lada Hart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But yeah, so. Um, well, hold on. I, I thought I just <laughs> I thought this was funny. Maybe maybe this is just a me thing. But there was one line that I thought was funny where um, she she revealed that, um, you know, she one time saw what she described as a UFO. Um, and that's when I had a sort of revelation. Uh, that's when I knew I needed to become an investigative photographer. And Phoenix Wright goes, I see. And his inner monologue says uh, kind of a shaky basis for a career. And I'm like. Excuse me, Nick. Who are you to talk? Once we learn why he chose to become an attorney. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, listen, man, who are you to judge? Uh, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. Just, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny for him to accuse someone else of a shaky uh, basis for their career choice. Yeah. Stones and glass houses and all that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh. But yeah, basically from this testimony, what we're supposed to get out of this is that um, Lada asserts that she was watching the boat the whole time, right? Yeah. And that that's where she saw the men. That's where she saw Edgeworth. That's where she saw the muzzle flash from the gunshot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, basically, you uh, present the Gordy article yes. to her statements about this. And um, Phoenix questions whether or not she was really looking at the boat, right? 
And there is a good exchange where Lana says- Oh man, says, I, I want to know if you wrote down the same thing I did. <laughs> Go ahead. She says, well, yeah, of course I was looking at it. Any normal person would be looking at the boat. And we get a fantastic frame of Phoenix saying, but you are far from normal, which <laughs> I want to just screenshot and use as a reaction image because that is an outstanding response to Lotta yeah. Hart. <laughs> And, and, and Lada's response to y'all want to step over here and say that <laughs> I know yeah Lada would absolutely throw fingers for oh, sure yeah, yeah. them's fighting but, words uh, <laughs> she does confess that um she was too busy looking for Gordy to watch yeah. the boat and that mm-hmm. and this is so key yeah. that she did not actually witness the murder which she has been saying for like the past three cross examinations has just been a fabrication. She didn't see yeah. the murder. Which, so. yeah, Ace Attorney trope number 753, like the witness uh, just like lying on the stand and yeah. no consequences for it. However, Lada is not backing down just yet. While she mm-hmm. is, you know, she's backed into this corner here. She has to admit she didn't actually see the murder. She does yeah. say she kind of has the next best thing. She has yes. an enlarged photo, yep. which we knew this had to come up because she enlarged the photo during the previous investigation. Yes, but we didn't get to see it until now. So now this is finally right. going to pay off. Right. We knew that this had to come up in this trial. And Von Karma <clears throat> is really trying to shut her down. Right. He yeah. does not want this photo to come out for some reason. Right. And we have yeah. sort of this this very dramatic moment where Phoenix like has to decide whether or not he should demand the enlarged yeah. photo, right? He's like, "Why won't Von Karma let her show it? Like what yeah. could it mean, you know? What what is the relevance of this photo?" And like the screen <clears throat> blacks out behind him, and you have to decide to either make her show the enlarged photo or to just wait and see what happens. And I really like this because this is a rare example in the Ace Attorney games where, like, your choice actually matters. Yes. <laughs> Whether you yeah, show it or not. So if you uh, don't demand the enlarged photo, the, the game actually does. It gives you another dialogue prompt where it's like, hey, do you really want to do nothing? And mm-hmm. if you if you just sit back, you don't make her uh, submit the enlarged photo. Uh, Miles Edgeworth does get declared guilty. Yeah, it's like instant game over. So. Yeah, rare it, it situation is, where your choices actually matter. Yeah, it, it is one of these things we'll see in these games throughout. Is that yeah? In general, it seems like the message is that action, even in the face of uncertainty, is always yeah. more valuable than inaction. Right? Yeah. Even if you don't know where it leads, even if you don't know where you're going, Phoenix mm-hmm. as a character will always pursue whatever yeah. he has. Right. And so he. D- he doesn't know how this enlarged photo is going to be useful, but he wants to see it. Yeah. And I think there probably are some exceptions to that. But yeah, in general, it's, you know, you're whenever you're given a choice, you know, in the courtroom scenes of, you know, oh, this could be dangerous. Like, do I want to continue this line of questioning? It's like, yes, always do it. And it's like, oh, man, this might end up being bad for my client. Should I should I show this uh, new piece of evidence? Should I show this enlarged photo? It's like the answer is always yes. <laughs> and um it's almost like those things where it's like uh it's become such a trope for like the phoenix right games it's similar to like you know in shooting games where it's like you know if you're running down a hallway and like 
you see people with guns like open fire on you like if that happened in real life that would be terrifying it would be a horrible situation but then you're playing a shooting game and it's like good news it's like oh yeah this means i'm going the right way <laughs> it's like you know yeah they'll, they'll try and present something that like looks bad and you're like oh man this is actually really good for me <laughs> yeah the the one truth in ace attorney is if if your case is getting worse by the minute you're going in the right direction <laughs> yes yeah until so, until maybe like the very end yes yeah so actually i guess to to that point right mm-hmm when Phoenix asserts to see the enlarged photo, um, yeah. Von Karma starts to actually kind of lose his composure, right? Yeah, this he is tries the first to insist that. that the photo doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Lada is like, "Yeah, it does exist. You just told me not to show it." The judge is like, "Hey, what the hell, Von Karma?" Von Karma now, like starts you're, you're sweating absolutely a bit. Right about that. But I, but I just wanted to interrupt here, like you know. We talked about like Von Karma's like perfect record or whatever, and you know we now know like the court system in this world consists includes like the judge like assigning penalties or whatever. I feel like Von Karma should have gotten at least a penalty for that. Like this is like some serious like obstruction of justice, right? Like yeah, like I get he's the prosecutor, he doesn't want this photo to be shown, but to tell the court the photo doesn't exist when it does, that is a lie. <laughs> Like, that's true allowed to do that actually we've kind of we caught von karma in 4k here he says yeah. the photo does not exist yeah that's a lie <laughs> like yeah <laughs> yeah that's a really good point i would love just once for a prosecutor mm-hmm. in ace attorney game to get a penalty like a capital p penalty yeah well, that's okay. I, I have a feeling I have a feeling Von Karma will get his justice in the end. Um, <laughs> well, with a yeah. name like that. I hey, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, Lada does indeed present the photo, almost seemingly emboldened at this point, right? Yeah. Um and it's yeah, it's an enlarged photo. We can see the moment of the shot, but uh mm-hmm. the identity of the men still can't be determined. I also love at this point, I think this is the first time in this trial that we get uh, the infamous pursuit theme when uh, Von Karma objects to this photo being shown and the judge overrules him and and you see this enlarged photo for the first time. Yeah. It's a very dramatic moment. Yeah. And it is kind of funny because um, Phoenix is, you know, He's desperate, right? He's got to find some sort of contradiction in this uh, enlargement, right? Yeah. And this is an interesting uh, moment, I feel, in the game, right? Something that comes up sometimes in Ace Attorney, where um, you're asked to point out the contradiction in this photo, right? Yeah. It's it's a dark, shadowy picture. Two men standing in the boat. You can't make out their identity. One of them is Mm. shooting the other. What's the contradiction? I've played this game before. I have beaten this case before. Could not for the life of me remember what the contradiction was supposed to be. Oh, no, Abby, you're kidding. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Yeah. The game, and I feel mm-hmm. like the game does this sometimes, it kind of makes it obvious. Really? The most, yes, because the most visually striking thing in this photo is the gun, right? Yeah. And the hand holding the gun. So what I did was I just presented the gun, you know i was like i don't know what the contradiction is but if it's anything it's probably the gun right 
so it, you're totally right in this case um maybe it, this, you know with this mechanic where they'll show you a photo and say like point out where in the photo the contradiction is um yeah you're right in this case it was obvious because it's this foggy night it's like midnight on this lake so you know the background is like solid black anyway there's nothing of interest there it's like there's only a pretty small number of things you could possibly point out the gun is like the most obvious one uh so you're definitely right here i think in future games in my opinion they did a better job of this and i'm thinking of one specific example in a later game where <laughs> it's a similar situation to before where like if you you know um is the thing where like if you choose not to present this evidence like the trials ends you lose i remember in a future game there's a photo where you have to point out the contradiction i actually could not figure it out and someday we're going to get to this trial and we're going to discuss it i'm going to ask you if it was obvious to you or not but the judge says like all right phoenix if you can't find the contradiction in this photo like i'm assigning the maximum penalty and your client's going to jail and i'm like i'm about to lose here i'm sorry <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, I think you're right. Maybe it's because it's the first game. Um, they kind of adjusted the difficulty appropriately. In yeah. Future ones. And, and in later games, they do try to like subvert this where they're like, you know, can you point out the contradiction? And then the answer you're supposed to do is like, there isn't a contradiction or <clears throat> yeah. yeah it, sometimes they do. They, they subvert it in some ways, but yeah, in this case, it, it's, you know, a very dramatic moment, right? Where, you know, Phoenix is very sure, but if you're an idiot like me, you mm -hmm. could kind kind of like Phoenix, you could bluff it, right? Yeah. So I pointed at the the pistol and I'm like, yeah, it's probably the pistol. And Phoenix is like, right here, Your Honor. Look mm -hmm. at the hand holding the pistol, right? Yeah. And the judge is all like, All right, cool. What's <clears throat> the judge is like, what's wrong with the hand? The left hand that's holding the pistol. And like as they sort of emphasize that, I'm like, Oh fuck. Okay. And I checked the court record and yeah. it said the fingerprints were found bearing uh edgeworth's right hand right yeah and i was and, that, and that's when it all clicked for me i was like oh okay got it got it the enlarged photograph shows the shooter holding the gun in their left hand the evidence shows that uh miles edgeworth was holding the gun in his right hand so i'm like okay cool got it like i yeah. was one step behind but they they sort of you know they pulled me along basically so for us as the player this is the part for us where it becomes clear that um miles edgeworth is not the killer because um you know the folks in the courtroom wouldn't be aware of this but like we uh as the player could remember back to the opening cutscene where you had these two men on the boat and uh one of whom was miles edgeworth um you know one of them gets shot falls overboard and you see miles edgeworth you could go back and like rewatch this scene because i did just to see if they were consistent and uh sure enough you see um and whatever this this also wouldn't hold up in court since you know we don't have like a close-up you know video of this to present you know obviously your Phoenix honor right wasn't present. didn't you see the opening cut scene <laughs> yeah exactly well listen <laughs> stranger things have happened in the courtroom <laughs> attorney but um but no they they were consistent with this where um if you were to go back and rewatch this cut scene you see um, you don't get to see the person's face, but you see the shooter holding the gun in um, their left hand. They pull the trigger, gun goes off, someone falls overboard, and then you see uh, someone pick up the gun and the camera zooms out to reveal uh, Miles Edgeworth kind of in shock holding the pistol, you know, in his right hand. So it's like, aha, that's how his fingerprints got there. Still doesn't yeah. look good. Like the evidence does not look good for our client, but, you know, now we as the player kind of know how a little bit more about how the scenario like actually played out right so yeah we 
we point that out. We point out this this sort of inconsistency between the um the the photo showing the shooter holding the gun in their left hand and <clears throat> the evidence which shows that Miles held the gun in his right hand. Um and that that kind of like that upsets the whole court, right? Yeah. Phoenix asserts that the, you know there's only one explanation remaining, <laughs> and I feel like this is where Phoenix maybe makes a bit like bold of a leap. But he says the man who shot the victim was none other than the victim himself. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that leap is kind of uh, you know based on like probably what Edgeworth told you in like the defense. I think lobby. that's exactly it. Yeah, is but- that. But, like, for anyone else, like, in the courtroom who wasn't there for that conversation, they'd be like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, there was actually one funny line here that I wanted to point out. Um, you know, uh, I think this is right before he says uh, victim shot himself. Um, the the judge says, uh, you've given us definitive proof today. We now know that it was not Mr. Edgeworth who fired the, pis- the pistol that night. Honestly, the trial should be over here, right? <laughs> like that's that's how the and, oh, man. I was about to say that's how the law works, but then I remembered this game is not. It's about the law. not about the law or even reality. Come on. But but here, but he says like we know it was not Mr. Edgeworth who fired the pistol. Mr. Edgeworth is the one who's on trial for this murder. Game over. We won. That's it. But anyway, this is Ace Attorney. So, well, so the trial continues. Von Karma does have one last little little nugget to sort of give to the court. Mm-hmm. And that's that he asserts there's no way it could have been suicide because the, um, you know, an examination of the wound reveals that the victim was shot from further than a meter away. Yeah. And that due to the distance, there's no way it could have been a suicide. Mm-hmm. So there, that does there was one funny thing that I think that I'm willing to bet this line only appeared in the American localization. <laughs> Phoenix says, yeah. a meter, that's three feet. <laughs> He's like, thanks, Nick. <laughs> yeah. He says it like in shock, right? <laughs> Captain America that's three over here. Feet. Yeah. I I love little lines like that. And yeah, for sure that's <laughs> For sure, that's only in the localization. You know, I don't, why yeah. didn't Von Karma just say that the victim was shot from a yard away, you know, or further than a yard away? Like, why even do that? But whatever. It It is. I, I just think it's funny. Um, But yeah, so the judge kind of leaves it there, right? Yeah. Um, He, he sort of, based on uh, Von Karma's information right that the shot happened from further than three feet away he still thinks it could be mr edgeworth but he does concede that phoenix does present a very compelling inconsistency between the photo and the fingerprints um which could reveal that it was not mr edgeworth so that's basically enough for the judge at this point to suspend court proceedings into the next day and um you know, encourage both sides to investigate the matter a little more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Phoenix agrees to those turns, terms. Von Karma just kind of very silently leaves the courtroom. And, Did we uh, mention that you get an updated autopsy report after after he tells you he was, uh, the victim was shot from a meter away? Uh, oh, shit, you do. Yeah. Your, your autopsy report that. updates in your uh, court record. So, uh, I feel like I feel like that's worth two drinks. The uh, 
the updated <laughs> you're about to end this man's whole career you get another updated autopsy report <laughs> yeah it, it is kind of funny to see some of edgeworth's tricks in von karma you know between like yeah um, i mean listen bull- where do you think you learned them <laughs> Right, between, like, bullying Gumshoe for, like, the salary negotiation, submitting updated autopsy reports, um, you know, making ultimatums like you'll be held in contempt if you can't find a contradiction. Like, little tricks like that, you see Von Karma pull these, and then it's like, you know, I kind of imagine Phoenix looking over his shoulder at Edgeworth being like, are you for real right now? (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny. You're you're totally right. I didn't think about that. Like Phoenix just sort of glancing at Edgeworth and just being like, dude, come on. You got that Bruh. shit from this guy, bro. Like, yeah, like I could I could imagine that happening between the two of them. Um But yeah, so that we we adjourn court for the day. Uh yep. head back to the defendant lobby number two. It's one fifteen PM. Uh the trial was about three and a half hours long in game, which yeah, feels like a solid day's work, honestly. Yeah. Um, and we get one sort of little final scene between Phoenix, uh, Miles. Well, I guess just Phoenix and Miles, right? Maya's not yeah. around anymore. Um, Phoenix is sort of having trouble resolving these details of the case. Edgeworth still insists that he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is good. Phoenix is demonstrating these sort of doubts, but still believes in Edgeworth as long as he asserts he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of before the end of things, uh, Phoenix remarks that he did requisition Lada's testimony. Yeah. Um, pretty much the the only part of her testimony that was actually useful was that she had heard a bang. Uh, Phoenix felt that that was interesting enough to to sort of write down. And that's there, it's a very conclu- April May moment where yeah. most of her testimony was useless. But it's like, well, here's the one thing I'm going to keep yeah, and I mean that does conclude this first trial. Oh, wait, it there, is funny. You one, say, hold on, there's there's yeah, one other ahead. exchange I want to point out because I thought this was uh, some good a good character moment uh, for Edgeworth. Um, this is when uh, Phoenix was saying he's going to the detention center to check on Maya. Edgeworth says, uh, "Tell her something for me." And Phoenix goes, "What?" And you see like three screens of just like three dots of Edgeworth either pausing or like collecting his thoughts, and he goes, "Tell." tell her to watch what she says in court and it's like yeah it's like listen like you were about to be declared guilty like her outburst allowed this trial to continue like you're you're here because of her and it's like you can't say thank you but but then i i get the sense that edgeworth is actually very grateful but um he's just like unable to like express his emotions so i, I thought that was a really good scene i, lo- I, I love the way they did that and the way they characterize <laughs> edgeworth I do too. Yeah, it's Edgeworth is just too sundere to actually say, tell her. That's you know, exactly I say what he you. is. Yeah. But he does say thank you in his own way. <laughs> it's in not the like ne- I want to prosecute you or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Edgeworth does sort of uh, have his way of saying thank you in the following investigation. So, so good transition. We have uh, wrapped up day one in court. Yeah. Overall, what we have sort of, what has sort of come out of day one in court is actually less than you might think for all the drama and circumstance. Basically, the main thing we proved through day one in court is that Lotta Hart is not a researcher. She is an investigative photographer. 
cool, but not important to the case. What else did we learn? I guess we learned that she was looking for Gordy, right? But that's yeah. also related <laughs> to her being an investigative photographer. Again, cool, not related to the case. Yeah. And then the other actual thing we get out of this investigation is the enlarged photograph and the inconsistency that the shooter was holding the gun in their left hand, whereas Miles's fingerprints were on his right hand. So yeah. that's kind of all we got out of the whole day of uh, <laughs> of trial, which, you know, sometimes that's how it goes, especially in the earlier trials. I, I do like the Ace Attorney uh, way of storytelling where like they'll they'll have, you know, many like unanswered questions right it's like you have the one larger mystery and then there's like all these mysteries like within it where you know they'll maybe it's just because day one there's still a lot to go there's still a lot of unanswered questions but sometimes they'll do this where i feel like it's a net gain of like zero like they'll answer one question but then you just get one more where it's like okay now we know that like edgeworth wasn't the shooter because the shooter held the gun in his left hand and edgeworth's uh, fingerprints were from his right hand but then you know, he thought it was a suicide. He thought um, Robert Hammond shot himself. But then we know that's not the case because of the distance the gun was away. So now we're still like, all right, well, now we have a new question. We know it was someone from like a meter away, but like who shot this guy? Right. Yeah, we're still not out of the locked room just yet. Yeah. Right now, this case still takes place on the boat. The locked boat. The locked uh, oh. lake. The locked nest. The locked lake. Oh, the lock ness mystery yes um but yeah that is one of the possibilities in a locked room mystery is that the victim killed themselves you know mm. uh mm. that is a possibility so we've at least opened that up as a potential maybe robert hammond just has really long arms that's why they call him the he long arm of the law <laughs> yeah robert hammond the long arm of the law that's why that's why he became a defense attorney <laughs> He's he's famous for having meter long arms. Yeah. Yeah. And he would just like reach up and grab the gavel away from the judge and like bang it. And that's how he gets his clients declared innocent. I don't. What is a normal wingspan for a person? Hold on. My my arms are about. Yeah, my arms are about 31 inches long. Like that's close to a meter. I feel like I could probably make that work. <laughs> you feel so, like you <laughs> Abby, please, please don't, please don't shoot yourself from a meter away. I need you. I need you alive so we can record the uh, next episode together. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do it and get my autopsy done just so I can prove and be like, hey. <laughs> hey so hold on. next episode of Turnabout Podcast will be me reading your autopsy report, and then the next episode after that will be me reading your updated autopsy report. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Wow, this got morbid. I'm sorry to our listeners. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sorry about that. This is a fun kooky game where I don't shoot myself in the chest. Yeah. All right. So we do go into the first investigation, right? Uh, case one four, investigation day two. We pick up uh, December twenty sixth in the detention center uh, visitors room. We're going there to yeah pick up Maya after she was uh, arrested for contempt of court after saving the trial. Yeah, interestingly, the game doesn't tell us what time it is, so we don't know how long after uh, the trial this is, but we could assume it's probably early afternoon if the trial let out at 1pm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Maya is back in the detention center. She is being held in contempt of court. If we talk to her about it, she explains that she's being held for questioning. And that she will be uh, let out on bail. 
which yeah. of course she expects Phoenix to pay for, which of course Phoenix would do. Yeah. Um, and then also we get, you know, sort of a reiteration here that um, Maya still can't get through to Mia, no matter how hard she tries. And um, she's starting to really regret having abandoned her training the way that she did. You know, it, it, it seems like she really is putting a lot of a lot of pressure, a lot of pain on herself for sort of, you know, loosening up on her spirit medium training. I like Phoenix's inner monologue here when he says, uh, I should check and see if there are any waterfalls in the area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I, I, I thought was kind of, you know, cute, right? That he's thinking of ways that he could encourage her to do her spirit medium training, which, you know, maybe he's doing for self-serving reasons so that she can reach Mia, or maybe he's doing for her sake because this is clearly getting to her. But one interesting thing that I kind of looked into yeah. is, um, you know, Maya's being held in the detention center. She's been detained for being uh, held in contempt of court and she will be let out on bail. Right. And I was thinking about it. I was like, is that actually how contempt works? What is the penalty for contempt of court? So per California code, code of civil procedure, 1218, being convicted of contempt in court in mm -hmm. California can come with a fine of up to a thousand dollars and or five days in prison oh, for each act of contempt it is also mandatory for a person convicted <laughs> of contempt to perform up to 120 hours of community service or to be imprisoned for 120 hours for each contempt um it seems like usually contempt of court uh, penalties are relevant in divorce court, where I imagine people get particularly unruly. But um, I, I suppose, you know, these sort of penalties can apply in any sort of proceeding. Uh, so, yeah, Phoenix would be looking at uh, as much as $1,000 to bail out uh, Maya, which I can't imagine he has too much to go around. No, he absolutely does not. <laughs> so... Yeah, I thought that was interesting, sort of puts into perspective. Um, I have found uh, descriptions, right? I don't know how the law works, but it seems like contempt can also uh, go up to like weeks or even months of jail time, depending on how like serious it is. Uh, but I, it doesn't, based on the way Maya talks about it, it seems mm -hmm. like she'll just be let out, you know, if uh, if someone pays her bail, so... Yeah, that's that's pretty much where we leave Maya. We leave her yeah. in the detention center, and um, I do like I do appreciate her last line where um, she says, "I wonder if I'll ever see my sister again." So she's feeling really bummed out about losing um, yeah. her spiritual abilities, losing the ability to you know summon her sister. Which I, I've conflicted feelings about this because I first read that line, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so sad." I wonder if I'll ever see my sister again, and then it's like. Anyone else in this situation, the answer would be no, you would not see your sister again because she's dead. So it's like, I feel like Maya is like already like better off than like most people who lose a loved one. Am I being fair? Am I being unsympathetic? Yeah, Maya is just spoiled because she has magic ghost channeling abilities. Yeah. When, when the rest of us lose our loved ones, they're gone forever. So get used to it. <laughs> yeah she should just learn to deal with it like everyone else <laughs> that's so that's so mean but no I, I do get i get what you're saying right is that yeah anybody else they they kind of have to accept death in a much more final way in much more final yeah. terms uh whereas for maya death isn't as permanent a thing 
And honestly, I imagine that probably changes her relationship and the way she sort of thinks about her sister's death, since she still has that connection. Um, So, yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. But, yeah, at this point, we really have no way of getting Maya out of jail. So I guess we kind of just have to do this investigation by ourselves. So, you know, with, with nowhere else to go, I just sort of went on over to Gord Lake. Yeah, so technically you do have a couple of other areas you, you can do. go to, but I, I don't think there's anything worth exploring there. You could, you know, go back to, uh, you could either go to the Wright and Co. offices, the Grossberg offices, the uh, Criminal Affairs Department. There's like nobody in any of those places. Yeah. Like, you know, your sidekick Maya, who you normally get to talk to at the the Wright and Co. offices, you know, she's in jail. Uh, Grossberg is like on vacation <laughs> or otherwise out of the office and like Gumshoe is also missing in action. So there's really no point going to these other places. So, yeah, I, I also just went to. Uh, yeah, to it's, it's like you're playing mist out here. The whole all that's, of L.A. is just empty. Oh, my God. That's what that's actually what I felt like there. And listen, I know we're trying to not spend three hours summarizing a single yeah. part of a single case of this game but i just mentioned that i went to those locations and noticed that they were empty because yeah this is like the first time in a while and this came up like a couple times during this investigation phase where i had this feeling of isolation where i'm yeah. like where is everyone yeah <laughs> which is probably like not i don't know if there was even intentional on the game's part but i'm just like Am I am I doing something wrong? Am I lost? Like there's nobody here. Like the entire city of LA is like empty. So at this phase of the investigation, I feel like it's a, a little column A, a little column B, right? I think it's supposed to yeah. feel isolating because you know Maya isn't here, so you don't have her presence. Yeah. But uh, I think it's also probably just practical reasons they didn't write dialogue for all these other locations because there's no need to. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, hey, here I go again. And, and invoking... other times in the game, they'll like, you know what? I feel like other times in the game, they'll like railroad you and say like, oh, we can't go to Studio One because we don't have the key card anymore. Like, you know, you'll try to go to one location and Phoenix's inner monologue will say like, no, I can't do that. Now I got to go to this other place. And this is like, I don't know if one way is necessarily better than the other because like, I don't really like being railroaded. And like, that doesn't feel good as a player. But then it's like this alternative also isn't that great you just go to these areas and there's like nothing there there's not even any yeah. like funny like flavor text like you can explore or examine things and like you know normally you'll get some funny banter but of course like maya's in jail so it's like well all right i guess i'll go look at charlie the house plant again yeah. as an example <laughs> which actually i did I'll, I'll never not examine charlie as an example, we have access to the Grossberg Law Offices. We do not have to stop yeah. there at all this entire investigation. Um, but fortunately, we are not entirely on our own um, because when we go to Gord Lake, uh, Gumshoe is there. Yes, that's right. Our old, her old friend, uh, Detective Gumshoe yeah. is there. Yeah, he's actually at the back in the Gord Lake woods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of to your point, when we go to the entrance and we go to the beach, there's still like nobody there. Like Larry isn't even there. A lot of hearts not even there. Like, again, there's just sort of this yeah. feeling of isolation. But yeah, we reach Gumshoe in the Gord Lake woods and um, yeah, he's he's pretty down. Right. As you would probably expect, he seems unsatisfied with the trial. Right. He has this line where he's like, well, I was going to say good show, but it wasn't really all that. Like, it's like 
he's kind of like low key roasting Phoenix. Yeah, and then he says like, "No, you did save Edgeworth, I guess." And I'm like, "Yo, what's with all this like?" <laughs> yeah, what's with the two handed compliment here? Like, this is like Sundere uh, Gumshoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's rubbing off on Gumshoe. But yeah, we we have the opportunity to talk to him about a few things. Uh, we can ask him about tomorrow's mm-hmm. trial, right? Um, yeah. Where he basically says that uh, Von Karma has a second w- witness, but he can't say who, you know, confidentiality and all that. He does still technically work for the prosecutor's office. We can infer that the second witness is probably the um, the second witness that that they had cancel during the previous trial. Um, so whoever that was is probably who's going to show up in the trial tomorrow. We can also ask Gumshoe about Prosecutor Edgeworth. And basically, uh, I feel like Phoenix kind of brings up a, a question that I wouldn't have thought of. But he asks Gumshoe why Miles is afraid of earthquakes. Oh, yeah. Now now we're in a day two uh, Ace Attorney game because we're like, you know, they're teasing more of these like plot points. We're getting more breadcrumbs, but they're not actually answering any of them. Yeah. Why is he afraid of earthquakes? Yeah. Gumshoe's like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's something that Phoenix can ask Gumshoe about that's not directly related to the trial, but is still like just kind of weird, right? That Phoenix yeah. would be wondering about. And Gumshoe's answer is honestly like pretty cryptic, right? Um, he basically yeah. says that Miles hating crime the way he does, becoming a lawyer, and his fear of earthquakes all started with DL6. And it's like... Uh, all started with that incident. Yeah. So take a drink for that. Yeah. Nobody actually does say the DL6. We we know it, at least the name of it at this point. Yeah. And it's like, those are three super specific things to be connected to that incident yeah. but to not know yeah. why they're connected and it's like okay well also like the he gave you a like a bulleted list of like three things and like the first it's like one of these things is not like the other it's like hatred of crime becoming a prosecutor it's like all right those make sense right that's probably because his dad died like fear of earthquakes and i'm like what <laughs> right right it's like yeah what where does that come from it's like yeah he hates crime he became a lawyer and also he really loves pixar's ratatouille (laughs) it's like wait what what are you talking about it's like i gotta gotta prosecute those earthquakes earthquakes (laughs) have gotten away with it for far too long that that's gotta be it our tectonic plates we gotta we gotta throw them behind bars He's he's upset with uh, the destruction of property that earthquakes cause. That's why he doesn't like them. Um, yeah. But the the third dialogue option we have with Gumshoe is uh, probably the most relevant, right? Is um, yeah. Phoenix says that he wants to talk about uh, Maya, right? Yeah. And then Gumshoe's immediately like, wait, what do you mean Maya? Like, isn't she out? Isn't she out of the detention center yet? Um, yeah. And he says that, you know, he told them to let her go as soon as they had their report written up, right? Um, yeah. and he talks about how, you know, that, um, you know, the, the trial would have been over if it wasn't for her seeing her get dragged mm-hmm. out by the bailiff and everything, you know, he shed a tear and he said that, uh, Edgeworth was moved as well by the display. Right. Um, yeah. and then Gumshoe kind of, you know, he, he gets real for a second and he's like, Hey, you know, uh, Edgeworth is really grateful for what Maya did. And he says that, mm-hmm. um, Edgeworth edgeworth actually paid all of the bail for um yeah maya's incarceration which as we know is not an insignificant amount um so yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of i feel edgeworth's way of showing gratitude 
I guess by flaunting yeah. his his money, right? Well, with his like red sports car that we may not see <laughs> yeah. until like future cases. Yeah, he's very flamboyant, <laughs> like with these displays of wealth or whatever. But I do actually, I agree. I like that characterization of Edgeworth where it's like he's unable to like use his words to like express gratitude like he won't even say thank you he's just like you know to Maya or he's like tell Maya to like watch what she says in court but then it's like he posts her bail and it's like all right Edgeworth yeah he he's a very sort of action oriented person and that's how he displays his emotions I obviously <laughs> this action to me doesn't read as a flex or anything it, it yeah to me oh, it does not, read yeah. as a genuine display of gratitude in a way that he feels he couldn't do with words and I think that's yeah. actually incredibly sweet um yeah so uh yeah anyway Gumworth Gum, I almost said Gumworth sorry <laughs> detective gumworth <laughs> detective gumworth um gumshoe uh tells phoenix to go pick up maya right and mm. so just sort of hold one... on did you did you present anything there's some like optional dialogue you can do if you present like uh i i didn't uh, present anything you got anything good if you present a uh, lot deposition her statement how she heard uh two gunshots this is the first time i think they point this out where it might you might be able to see this by looking at the court record but it's the first time it's actually spoken where Phoenix will say, like, but wait a minute, the murder weapon was fired three times. And Gumshoe goes, what? How is that possible? And it's like, yeah, Gumshoe, how is that possible? Well, yeah. We'll that later. <laughs> That's a really good point because, uh, yeah, I totally didn't clock that at all. That, yeah, if you present Lada's deposition, Lada heard two gunshots, but the murder weapon was fired three times. And then also, uh, I believe there are some inconsistencies here because um, Edgeworth says he only heard one bang right like there there's varying accounts of how many times this gun was actually fired depending on who you ask and that's weird (laughs) like it is it's just one of those things that you just go huh that's weird i don't know what to do with that but that's like another like ace attorney thing like i keep talking about like these like breadcrumbs they're leaving for us to like you know kind of like guide us towards like the direction they want but yeah they don't because it's still like uh day two or whatever they're not gonna actually reveal everything yet yeah we we've gone through three cases so far we're a little savvy we know that every detail that they give us Mm -hmm. will be relevant in some capacity so i actually do appreciate that about like the ace attorney games like it's like you know like chekhov's gun it's like you know you introduce a plot point in like the first act what is it? Well, I'm trying to think of like a good example here. It's like you introduce a DL6 in Act 1, you better murder Edgeworth's father in Act 3. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> but, but it is true. It's like all these things they say, like there is not, I mean, maybe some of the optional things like examining stuff in the background or whatever, but in general, like the critical path, like there is not a wasted word. Like yeah. everything is relevant. Your your court record really does become a sort of veritable checklist, right? Where every piece of yeah. evidence you collect at some point is going to get presented. You know? Yeah. There's even a case in the third game where you have to present your attorney's badge in court as a piece of evidence. Like, you know, it, it, it all comes that. into play at some point. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, we have no explanation for this inconsistency in the number of uh, bullets shot, but at some point it'll be relevant. One thing I did have to say about this scene is, um, why didn't we just start with Maya being let out of the detention center? 
You know, like, why did we have to have a scene with Maya, walk to the woods, talk to Gumshoe, go back to the detention center, let her out? Like, I, I feel like this case could have just started, like, with Maya being let out of the detention center. And then, you know, maybe Gumshoe is there or, you know, the bailiff is there or whatever. Like, hey, you know, Miles Edgeworth paid your bail. Like, you're free to go. And then they're like, what, Miles Edgeworth? Like, you know, we could have just started with that. I don't know why we had these extra scenes. I guess it's kind of important for pacing and it kind of gives a bit more weight to the, you know, yeah. to Maya's um, objection to Maya being held in contempt. It kind of gives a bit more meaning to that. It's sort of you know contextualizes the uh impact it had on maya herself so like i i guess it is sort of a character and pacing thing but from a from a purely narrative standpoint i feel like we didn't even need the these these scenes so after um after we sort of get that information from gumshoe we head back to the detention center we have a brief scene with maya she expresses annoyance for all the interrogations she was given by the police but she does uh, show gratitude to Edgeworth for paying the bail, and she. Kind I did of- like what Maya said when when she was talking about the uh, interrogators. She's like, <laughs> they were like, "Okay, what did you do this time?" And I was <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, she was in jail pretty recently." You know. Yeah. Case one two Turnabout Sisters. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. Um, and she she sort of recommits herself to to winning this case, right? She she seems yeah. more determined than ever to kind of i guess make it up right make it up to edgeworth you know show that her being held in contempt was not for nothing um as usual we have the dialogue options with her what to do and any ideas and as usual those two dialogue options are not at all helpful actually no hold on (laughs) Um, hold on if you in in the what to do dialogue option well maybe no this one was helpful she uh she jokingly says well we could go to the park and look for gordy and it's like she was just being silly but that is exactly what you do that i guess that's true you know i guess that is true that is exactly what you do um so that that's what we do (laughs) (laughs) that's what we do i don't know where you went but after this i went back to gord lake but this time with our friend maya did you uh did you ever go back to the right and co law offices? Nah. This like probably wasn't worth doing and whatever. You're the you're the producer, so so cut this out of the episode if if it contributes nothing. But I, I went there and um you do get one line that I thought was worth highlighting where um you can talk to Maya after, you know, she's out of jail, you're back in the right and co law offices, and she talks about like um She's like, ah, fresh air. It's like freedom feels great. Uh, Phoenix says, um, just behave yourself in the courtroom next time, okay? And Maya laughs and she goes, but misbehaving is much more fun. <laughs> and like, I don't know, maybe that was just like a silly, like throwaway optional dialogue line, but I actually really liked it because, um, again, I feel like it gives more depth to like Maya's character because we've seen her in so many different like emotional states when she's like, you know, afraid like you know first time she was arrested and thrown in jail and we've seen like recently she's you know been um almost like disappointed or really hard on herself since she's unable to like use her summoning powers and you know when she got angry and had that outburst at a lot of in court and i don't know i just appreciate that she's not this you know static one-dimensional character but that 
you know, normally she's like your bubbly, like, um, you know, assistant, but, um, well, what I like her at her lowest (laughs) now she's back. Yeah. What I like about this line is that it shows that she has absolutely zero remorse for her outburst in court. And I (laughs) love that. That she is completely convicted. She completely believes that, you know, that needed to be done and that her actions were necessary and that they were impactful. And the fact that she's, you know, joking about it, the fact that she's like, you know, kind of like reveling in it shows that like, yeah, she's not sorry. She's not sorry she spoke out. She's not sorry she called Lada out. Like, and I think that's great. I think that's awesome that like, you know, she isn't apologetic she doesn't you know make excuses like she's just like hell yeah Yeah. i i misbehaved and i'll do it again if i have to so she's back to her usual misbehaving she's she's back to being a scoochone i love it yeah (laughs) all right so that was a totally optional uh digression here but yeah i think we are about to go back to gourd lake we we go back to gourd lake and uh we we meet a familiar character we do. We meet our good friend, Lada. <laughs> she comes in and says, hey, y'all. <laughs> Which I really like playing up the, the southern accent in this scene here. Oh, this is the part where um, she basically admits that she didn't actually witness the murder. And um, she says that she was just blabbing and saying anything that uh, came to mind. Yeah. Which uh, is this when you can talk about, you know, today's trial. And she says... She goes, uh, I'm sorry, I know I caused y'all a lot of trouble. Maya says uh, that memory is a tricky, vague thing. And I thought this was funny because this is the only time I'm aware of where they actually like acknowledge this. That like, yeah, eyewitness testimony can be unreliable and like your memories are not, you know, yeah. always a true 100% accurate representation of what happens. I almost just appreciated this kind of thing because it was like, Usually when witnesses say something wrong and have to like amend their testimony, it's because they're straight up lying <laughs> witness stand where this was like something that's probably much more common in the real world of like, yeah, memory is not perfect. Yeah, it is one of those things where within the context of the game, unless there's an explicit contradiction, we're supposed to believe that witnesses are completely correct in their memory. Um, yeah. Because the alternative would be impossible to deal with in a video game. Um, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I, I actually do kind of like this scene with Lada, right? Because um, <laughs> she, she, you know, realizes that being a witness is not like a fun, glamorous thing to like write an article about, but an actual legitimate responsibility. And yeah, yeah she essentially apologizes for committing actual perjury on the stand and you know what that's character growth (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's that's a lot of heart yeah (laughs) which i'm saying this i know lada shows up in later cases i she probably lies on the stand again i'm not sure I can't remember. We'll, I can't we'll remember out. either. Tune in, listeners, to find out if Lada Hart continues to lie in the yeah. last end. <laughs> Spoiler, probably. Pro- she probably does. <laughs> but yeah, so she she basically says, you know, we can ask her about today's trial, as you said. And she says she testified just because she wanted to be able to say she was a witness. She thought yeah. it would be a cool bona fide, something to tell her friends. Um, yeah. We can ask her about Gordy, right? And... Mm-hmm. um. 
basically the the way she sees it, she's more fired up than ever about finding Gordy, right? Yeah. Uh, she feels that the Miles Edgeworth trial has sort of stoked public interest in Gordy and that, mm-hmm. you know, she really wants this to be her big break, right? She wants to be able to find Gordy and take it to publication. Um, yeah. You know, be a bigger story than her UFO. Um, <laughs> yes. And then we can also ask her about um, how she intends to sort of make things up to mm-hmm. Maya and Phoenix for yeah. make it up to them again for actual perjury. Right. She said that she's going to make it up to them. And um, basically, she says she has a detail that Von Karma didn't want to reveal and that she oh, will man. give it up. That's, that's if- true. The way you described it makes it sound so like clickbait, like the one weird trick prosecutor von karma doesn't want you to know about <laughs> i mean yeah right like that's exactly how she like presents it lot of heart would do numbers as a buzzfeed writer for sure probably yeah <laughs> but uh she sort of teases this detail right that she's a detail von karma didn't want them to know but she says she'll only actually give it up to them if they can find gordy for her and Maya quite rightfully is like, hey, that's not really making it up to us. That's, you know, an exchange, right? <laughs> she says, yeah, and, well, information isn't cheap. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So obviously you take the detail. The Obviously you take the deal from her. Mm-hmm. And um, I, so, I guess sort of get started on the Gordy investigation. Oh, there was one funny line when you're when you're talking to, uh, to Lada about Gordy. Um, when she, you know, basically... Uh, wants this exchange she says i'll give you you know information for information um phoenix says but gordy doesn't i mean gordy might not exist (laughs) i thought that was funny (laughs) yeah at this point it's still inconclusive yeah he didn't want to like shatter her dream so he kind of like dialed it back a little bit i thought that was funny and yeah phoenix right is way like sassier than i remembered (laughs) that's something that's come up a few times he really is, and I love him for that. Yeah. So then Lada says, well, all right, you know, in that case, bring me proof that he doesn't exist. And this is, you know, setting up our next uh, fetch quest, which we're about to begin now, as you said, at the uh, Gord Lake Beach. Yeah. I, so I immediately... Don't know. I, I think Gordy is real. I think we're going to find Gordy in this investigation, for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, the real Gordy was the friends we made along the way. Oh, that's so beautiful. But okay, so Gord Lake Public Beach, what are we doing? So immediately we notice uh, something new here. It's uh, the Steel Samurai. <laughs> there yeah. is giant uh, inflatable Steel Samurai uh, taking up most of the, the background of this scene. It's this big, you know, almost like wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube samurai yeah um and he's you know wrapped in these um strings of flags from different countries around the world but it's this huge balloon of the character of the steel samurai that's you know taking up most of the screen so um that's the first thing that that i notice when you get here it's definitely the first thing that maya pointed out and then almost immediately our old friend uh larry butts shows up and goes yo maya which i don't know why i laughed at that line i like the larry's greeting is yo yeah and also that and also that he greeted uh maya instead of his childhood friend (laughs) (laughs) oh larry (laughs) so uh, you get to ask him about this uh giant steel samurai balloon uh he said it was his girl kianse's idea um (laughs) the way he described it is funny because it's like we, we still never met his girlfriend she's like this unseen like off screen character 
And it's still not at all clear what the nature of their relationship is to me. I, I still don't know if he is misperceiving sort of a gal pal relationship as like a romantic yeah. one or if they are genuinely a couple. I don't know. I think it's like all of Larry's relationships with women <laughs> right. where he, he thinks it's romantic. Not always clear they're on board. <laughs> yeah. But apparently <laughs> Keonse is like a pretty great friend or girlfriend it's hard apparently she's really supportive because she got larry that giant inflatable steel samurai apparently she got it for free now that the show is over which sure (laughs) i guess yeah the the kids have all like lost interest in the steel samurai they're all about the the pink princess was that the new character's name yeah i think so all right yeah so she got this balloon for free um Let's see. You can examine a couple of things. I don't know if there is too much uh, worthwhile. So, here. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, there's one thing you could examine that is going to haunt me forever, I think. Oh, geez. I wonder what you're going to say. It's the flags. Really? All right. I'm going to skip the fla- this. So now that the Steel Samurai uh, inflatable is up, right, um, mm-hmm. Larry also hung up a bunch of, uh, you know, multinational flags, right? Flags of different countries around the world. And yeah. we get this exchange between Phoenix and Maya that, that I put in my notes here that I am going to read in full. Okay. okay. So you examine the flags and Phoenix says, <laughs> I'd like to point out you're the one who criticized me for rambling on too long. There are episodes that go on for three hours. But well, by all means, tell me about these flags. Our, our tendency to ramble is targeted at both of us for sure. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, so let me explain. Phoenix, when you examine these flags, Phoenix says, those flags look sadly out of place here, flapping listlessly back and forth in a cold wind under a cold sky. Again, Phoenix being weirdly poetic for no reason, as he is wont to do sometimes. And Maya says, I don't know. I think it gives the place a festival atmosphere. It reminds me of the, quote, war of the eyeglasses. And Phoenix says, the war of the what? And Maya says, huh, what? You mean you don't know the war of the eyeglasses? Phoenix says, what the heck is it? And Maya says, our local fair used to do it every summer. Huh, I guess we were the only ones. And Phoenix says, I ask again, what the heck is it? So I actually did examine the flags, but I didn't write anything in my notes about that because I just kind of glossed over it. I'll be honest. Have, I don't know what the War of the Eyeglasses is. I what have is it? no fucking clue what the War of the Eyeglasses is. I Googled this shit. I did yeah. research. I cannot find a single fucking reference to the War of the Eyeglasses. I cannot find so much of an r slash ace attorney post where someone is asking about this nobody not only does this thing not exist but i'm the only one who cares about it is am i the is my game the only one that has this line in it am i hallucinating this interaction does everybody but me know what the war of the eyeglasses is this this means fucking nothing to me what was shutakumi what is what was going on in his head when he wrote this exchange I have no idea. My best. I have no idea. It's probably one of those puns that like doesn't translate from Japanese to English. Uh, That might be it. Actually, what I my speculation is, is it is supposed to be a meaningless reference. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it is maybe supposed to demonstrate Maya's isolated upbringings. 
right? Mm. Because she grew up in the yeah. mountains. So it's just, I think it's supposed to just evoke one of those like really weird, like hyper local, like cultural things that, yeah. um, you know, was a part of Maya's childhood, but literally nobody else on planet Earth has ever fucking heard of. <laughs> Maybe. That's actually so kind of cool we- because it's this line that, you know, I remember reading that. I was like, I don't know what this war of the eyeglasses is. And I just glossed it, over it. But it's yeah, it's a throwaway things. line. What, what, what I said before, I stand by even the throwaway lines. I feel like with rare exception, like it, there's like not a single wasted word. Like, you know, they even the things that seem just like silly nonsense, like do actually give you um, some characterization here. Like you were saying, it shows that like Maya was like isolated and she has these customs that like nobody outside her village. Yeah. Knows about. So yeah, I believe you. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's the only explanation I have. Otherwise I, it, I actually will accept. It does seem not unlikely that it was some sort of wordplay in the original script yeah. that didn't translate, but whatever. Anyway, we really don't get too much from the rest of the scene with Larry. Um, we can ask him about Edgeworth. And basically, oh, I like um, when you examine the steel samurai. Did you do that? Oh, as as we're talking. Yeah, about what happens with that one? Here. Yeah. So, um, what is it? Um, <laughs> Maya says, uh, you know, they're talking about this giant inflatable, you know, steel samurai um, in front of the lake, and Maya says, "Oh, this just doesn't really work for me." And Phoenix is like, "Really? What do you mean? This like, you know, looks pretty well made to me." And Maya says true connoisseurs like cody and me don't fall for this kind of stuff and i was like don't fall for it it's like is maya telling us like she thinks this is like a trick is she saying she can tell the difference between a person and a balloon it's like what? <laughs> yeah you can't fool me this giant egg-shaped man that's like 20 feet tall isn't a real samurai but again that that could be another example of it could, be, it could be another, like, silly line that, like, just seems like a throwaway line, but actually, like, shows you how ridiculous Maya is. Sorry, what were you going to say? Did you have another theory about uh, that? Yeah, I think basically it's, like, the equivalent of, like, when you go to, like, the boardwalk or the state fair or whatever, and they're selling, like, bootleg, like, Pokemon or, like, bootleg Marvel or Among Us merch or whatever, and, like, you know, to a parent or, like, a casual fan or whatever, they'll be like, ah, oh, fuck yeah, Captain America or whatever. But like an yeah. actual fan will be like, um, excuse me, this has the wrong symbol on the shield or like the colors yeah. are wrong or like, oh, this isn't legitimate merchandise. Like, I, I think that's the energy that Maya's coming at it from that. Like, you know, she recognizes this as like a bootleg or, you know, mm-hmm. she she recognizes this as an unofficial steel samurai installation because I mentioned this on the previous episode guaranteed larry does not have the rights to sell steel samurai uh branded merchandise right like guaranteed this is not at all sanctioned by global studios so you mean it's not a reference to maya's superhuman ability to tell the difference between (laughs) human beings and inanimate objects (laughs) you know what so far we don't have any counter evidence that she can't Mm -hmm. tell the difference between the two so who's to say yeah so uh Continuing, you get to talk to uh, Larry Butts. Did we go through this yet? We didn't get to talk about Edgeworth. You nah, it's Larry. it's a pretty quick exchange. Basically, he reiterates that Edgeworth is afraid of earthquakes, but Larry, uh, you know, says he doesn't ever remember Edgeworth being afraid of earthquakes. So mm-hmm. we know that that must have happened sometime after they were childhood friends. And then um, we can also ask him about the big samurai and... Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, he explains that um, 
you know, uh, uh, he had it up for about a month, right? And that everybody's been loving it. Uh, but it wasn't inf- inflated on the previous day in the previous investigation because his uh, air compressor was broken. I like this. It, Larry kind of like you ask him about it and Larry kind of, you know, stammers through this explanation. He's like the, the, the compressor was busted. And it's like you get the first sense that, you know, when something smells, it's usually the butts like he's not right. telling the full truth here. Yeah, that there's there's probably something behind this inflatable. But who's to say? Yeah. His his story is that the compressor was busted yesterday and, you know, he just got it repaired today and that's why it's up now. So, all right, cool. Go go off. You go, girl. <laughs> yes. Yeah. From from here, we really don't have any like definite direction. Yeah, you could you could go to the boat rental shop. There's not really anything worth looking at there. So I went back to the woods where, um, you know, you can meet Lada again. <clears throat> uh, she asks if you found out anything about Gordy. Um, of course, at this point, you haven't. So um, <laughs> there's funny interaction. Maya has to sneeze. Uh, she sneezes and, like, you know, sets off the uh, camera. Like, this is at least the second time you've, like, wasted a roll of her film. <laughs> yeah, the, the automatic shutter. She triggers it again. Yeah. Um, so then there's, you know, a bunch of silly dialogue with, you know, a lot of, you know, using a bunch of Southern slang, you know, it's just same shenanigans, uh, ends with Maya saying, Nick, pay the lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, so the, this scene, there's not too much going on, but to me, what it sort of indicates is Lada's sort of desperation for finding yeah. Gordy at this point, right? The the reason Maya's sneeze triggers the camera is because she had sort of lowered the threshold, the the noise threshold for the camera to go off, uh, yeah. presumably because, you know, she's trying to take any opportunity she can get to find Gordy. Um, and then we also have the opportunity to ask her about Gordy. And she explains mm-hmm. that um, she's taken a break from her university studies to be an investigative uh, photographer. And she goes on to say that she will quit being an investigative mm-hmm. photographer and she'll go back to school you know she'll give up her dreams of being a photographer um if gordy is not real yeah so like y- you kind of get the sense that like she's put everything on the line to find gordy yeah. at this point and um i feel like it kind of kind of adds a bit of stakes to our our little little hunt for gordy um mm-hmm. so yeah at this point in the case um you know i'm kind of like you i went to the boat shop i went to the woods and there's really not much going on, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have several people to talk to. You know, we could talk to Maya at the Wright & Co. Law Offices. We could talk to Larry. We could talk to Lada. We have evidence to present. We have things to examine. But, like, none mm-hmm. of it really goes anywhere. Yeah. So, fortunately, this is where prior knowledge helped me out. I knew mm-hmm. that uh, we needed some tools to help us in our search. Oh, boy. Here it I, comes. This is an iconic part of this case, and I couldn't forget it. So, so at this point, we go back to uh, to meet our friend Gumshoe at the Criminal Affairs Department. That's what you're yeah. talking about, right? Yep. Um, oh, I do want to point out one thing, only because um, it's going to come up later. I promise there will be a payoff for this. Um, you can examine in the background. There's a detective. Um, I think we might have been able to examine this in a previous case, too. But he's looking at a computer screen, and the officer says... You're under arrest. I have a warrant. And you're just kind of observing this. And Phoenix Wright says, ah, he's doing image training for making arrests, uh, which whatever is kind of some, you know, 
flavor text that's, you know, not yeah. on the critical path is not necessary. But throughout the game, you can, you know, as you're, if you, as you have the ability to examine all these scenes, you can examine this officer who's always sitting in front of a computer and he's always doing some kind of image training. So, yeah. So more on yeah, that. We talked, we talked about this on the previous episode that, yeah. um, I was very perplexed by that phrase, image training. I didn't know what yeah. that was. And when I Googled it, the only reference to image training I could find was in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that, right? Apparently the characters in Dragon Ball Z do image training to imagine themselves fighting their their rivals. And apparently mm-hmm. that is like that physically trains them up for the fights. I talked about it last time. But yeah, this guy, he's just always sitting there doing image training. I kind of get the sense that like he's maybe not a great police officer. So they're mm-hmm. kind of just like, there's like, ah, hey, you know, you're good. Just hang out at the office, do some training. We'll we'll put you out on the beat soon. And he's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll do well, some. I just, <laughs> well, I just remember yeah. like, you know, the first time I played through this, like, you know, there's kind of a tendency to like examine, you know, everything, like check every option you have. So I remember like being in this, you know, setting the criminal affairs department and, you know, looking at this dude and he would always be doing some thing that would be like normal for like police officers or whatever so here it's like you know um arresting like a suspect and there are other things where like yeah. it's training for like if you're in like a hostage negotiation and training for this like situations a police officer might encounter so so listeners keep this in the back of your mind and i promise that there will be i can't promise it'll be good but i promise there will be a payoff for all this uh, at the end so, so back right. back to the main story here well so okay i actually do i have a payoff as well for the criminal affairs department This is perhaps the moment that we have Mm -hmm. all been waiting for. I know I am. I am playing this case on my DS. I'm playing the the original DS version of of this case. Yeah. And we had some discussion last time about the blue badger doll in the background. Mm -hmm. You, You had mentioned it and I was like, what? What are you talking about? There's no blue badger doll. I don't remember that. Right. Yeah. And we had speculated whether or not they added it in the Switch trilogy, which is what you're playing the game on, because the Blue Badger uh, is introduced or kind of comes out in a prominent way in the fifth case, which was added later in the series. Um, But it turns out the Blue Badger is, in fact, in the DS version of this game. Really? Yes. And I'll actually take this a step further. So the Blue Badger is an important plot point in the fifth case. The fifth case was added in the DS version of this game in the official English localization. However, mm-hmm. as we know, Ace Attorney originally released on the Game Boy Advance. In that version, the game ended with this case, Turnabout Goodbye. Right. The Blue Badger was not a prominent plot point in the original GBA version. However, I checked the GBA version of this game to see if the Blue Badger is in the criminal affairs department in this case. Mm-hmm. it is really yeah so the blue badger has been around since the game originally released in 2001 so wait you can can you examine it do you get any sort of like yeah. flavor text or anything huh yeah interesting so it was always a named character mm-hmm. no wait hold on a sec you said you're playing it on the ds right correct does that include the fifth case yeah sure does so do we know if the Blue Badger appeared in the Game Boy Advance version? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, I checked that. All right. 
We did. So, it. Yeah. We have solved the blue badger mystery. <laughs> yeah, I, gu- I guess originally in the original release in 2001 on the Game Boy Advance, it was just like a little background element. And then mm-hmm. when they created Case 1-5 in the DS localization, they made it, you know, a more prominent, you know, entity that was a part of the plot and had lore and, you know, details around it and stuff. I wonder if when they made the original Game Boy Advance game, they had like any sort of plan in mind or if they put any thought into this mascot <laughs> or if they were just like, oh, we need something to take up space here, draw this silly thing. I think it was probably the latter, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I get the sense that a lot of this game was kind of just like made by the seat of its pants with like Shu Takumi feverishly like writing the script by himself. Yeah. So I, I feel I don't know how else to put it, but I feel like this game both had a incredibly deep amount of planning and thought put into it and also not very much at all. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> anyway, so that's the big blue badger mystery. Um, now to the, the real crux of this scene. We get our dialogue with Gumshoe. So is this when you talk about the investigation? Yeah. Yeah, we tell him um, we're, we're looking for Gordy for a lot of heart. Yes. And uh, Gumshoe is like pretty much immediately like pretty upset to hear that uh, Maya and Phoenix are monster hunting when they should be helping Edgeworth's case. Uh, but we get a little fade to black where Phoenix explains the whole situation with Lada and everything. And um, as soon as he uh, explains the situation, Gumshoe is like all on board. He is like all on board with uh, Team Gordy. Like he is ready to hunt down Gordy. Um, so Gumshoe says that uh, he has three secret weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the LAPD that he is willing to loan out to Phoenix and Maya to help them find Gordy. So the, oh, man. <laughs> the three secret tools are um, in the order that he presents them. Mm-hmm. There is Missile, yeah. the police dog, uh, a very mm-hmm. charming, a very sweet Shiba Inu uh, yes. named Missile. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He explains that Missile is a um, like a, a, a young canine unit that's still in training um Mm -hmm. and you know it it hasn't officially been put on the the force yet um his second secret weapon is a fishing rod oh wait can i can i give my little tidbit of information about missile i i have a few tidbits about missile but go ahead well i I don't want to steal your thunder but i'll I'll give i'll give my one tidbit and uh you can fill in the tidbits that i miss i know that uh missile the the dog also appeared in another ds game also written by shu takumi uh which is ghost trick a a lovely game that i enjoyed yeah ghost trick is so good (laughs) yeah well we can talk about missile right ghost trick is such a good game we should be doing a podcast about ghost trick honestly i fucking love this game and in Ghost Trick, which, you know, released quite a bit after the original trilogy, um, there is a dog, a very sweet Pomeranian uh, Mm -hmm. named Missile that is featured in that game, uh, who, spoilers, pretty much dies immediately. (laughs) Well, most characters in this game do. Ghost Trick, as the name may imply, is a game very much about death. It's it's very good. I recommend it to anybody. Uh, But anyway... A very sweet thing about Missile is that um, Shu Takumi has a actual Pomeranian named Missile. 
That's Did you awesome. know this? I, I didn't know that. Hold on. I, Mish, right now, live on the pod, I'm sending you a tweet. <laughs> right now, that live on the a- pod, we have a very <laughs> special guest. Please welcome Missile. <laughs> we have Missile right here on the pod. I'm going to edit in some dog bark sound effects there. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yes, I just I, I just sent it to you. I, I posted in the, the voice chat. Um, that is what Missile looks like. That is Shu Takumi's dog, Missile. I gotta learn how Discord works. Ah, oh, there we go. Oh, no. Ah, that's such an adorable dog. <laughs> Dude, like, Missile is such a good Pomeranian. The big black eyes, the little nose. Missile looks so floofy. Um, He's so very fluffy sweet. and his face is so <laughs> tiny. <laughs> so, Mish. Yes. I got bad news about Missile. Oh no. I, I'm so sorry to sort of build you up and tear you down like this. Yeah. But in November 2018, Shu did post to Twitter to uh to explain that Missile had passed away. Mm, poor Missile. So he says, this past summer, Missile went to eternal rest at the age of 11. I'd showed him off a few times here on Twitter, and all of you loved him so much. I knew I had to tell you all sooner or later. So, yeah, it's it's really sad, but um, Missile is no more. Um, sad, poor Missile. I know. I, I love this dog, and I think it's really sweet. Um supposedly a uh, shoes Pomeranian named missile um, came into his life after he wrote these games. So the character in Ace Attorney actually predates the actual dog. So he, he named the Pomeranian after detective Gumshoes dog, not the other way around, which I think is kind of funny. That is funny. That's not what I would have expected. Yeah. Right. Um. So yeah, that's, that's sort of the story of missile. It's, a police dog in Ace Attorney, it's a magic ghost Pomeranian in Ghost Trick, and it is Shutakumi's actual, real-life Pomeranian that passed away back in 2018. So, this is a very special little dog that sort of touches every part of this series, I feel like. Um, <laughs> as well, I would like to just point out, I included this in my notes, um, Missile in Ace Attorney is a Shiba Inu. Uh, Shiba Inu are not typically used as police dogs due to their stubborn nature and their difficulty in training. Um, I did find one Pomeranian in Texas that was certified as a drug sniffing dog. Uh, I believe it did not actually serve on, you know, any police departments in Texas, but it was mm-hmm. at least certified for that ability. But otherwise, yeah, typically, I don't think, think Missile would do that. Missile's not a narc. Yeah, Missile Missile's cool. And, um, I mean, we'll we'll see. Missile has some anti-establishment tendencies, I think. <laughs> um, but yes, that's that's the whole story of this dog. Um, our second secret weapon is a fishing rod, which uh, Gumshoe remarks is literally just a fishing rod that he bought because he decided he wanted a fishing rod, <laughs> so he bought it. And I don't think he's ever used it right. He just like decided he wanted a fishing pole and then yeah. never actually went fishing. And also, he said he was going to let you borrow one of these, you know, three like detective items or whatever from the department. But that's just like his fishing pole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just his personal fishing pole. Um, 
And then the the last secret weapon is uh, is a gun. It's a handgun. Now a, a, a fifty hold, cal hold desert a eagle that Gumshoe just hands to Phoenix. This, this is says, not what I have in my notes. He says, Phoenix, bring justice where you see fit. You are the vengeance. You are the knight. Do what I didn't have the strength to. <laughs> That's what Gumshoe says. It's it's kind of fucked up, actually. This, this is not the ace attorney that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, Gumshoe gives him a metal detector. Just go go finish off Von Karma the first bullet to do the job. <laughs> yeah, go finish off Von Karma. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so Gumshoe gives. Yeah, that's the third one. Is a, it's a metal detector. It's an actual metal detector. Um, <laughs> which yeah, the the two remark is you know probably not helpful because they're looking for a sea monster. Um, so I remember playing this case. Like a decade ago at this point. I remember (laughs) that you're supposed to take the metal detector, obviously. But we can just quickly go through the other two. If you pick missile, um, (laughs) basically missile attacks Larry's hot dog stand and just (laughs) eats all of the hot dogs. And I like to imagine he uh, missile causes like a ruckus, like knocking over the banner and like tipping over the cart and everything. Like, yeah, missile seems like a very overeager dog. So um, (laughs) that's a pretty funny scene. That's uh obviously what i had referenced uh in the beginning as well um so yeah that's that's what happens if you pick missile if you pick the fishing rod uh we basically have a scene where maya goes fishing in the uh in the woods right Mm -hmm. um but gets herself caught on the hook trips and falls over and -hmm. very comedically as she thumps to the ground it sets off lada's camera again and uses an entire <laughs> roll of film again that's right i was trying to remember because i was like i know this happened like another time later am i like losing track here yeah yeah that's that's when that happens and yeah that's pretty funny that's pretty mm-hmm. funny um but then of course what we're supposed to take is the metal detector and we bring it on over to the boat rental shop um mm-hmm. and it's actually a pretty brief scene at the boat rental shop. Um, (laughs) And I I also wrote this in my notes that I went to the boat rental shop because I remembered that it's one of the things. (laughs) I don't know why this metal detector bit stuck out so much in my mind, right? Um, I didn't even remember this part at first. I know the metal detector comes up again later, but yeah, no. Yeah. This whole, this whole thing really stuck out in my mind where you get to choose between the three secret weapons. I think it's because it's a rare case where you, do actually get branching you know choices yeah so Um, let's talk about this because i feel like i have kind of mixed feelings here i guess generally i like it i don't know maybe i'm being unfairly critical of like the first game maybe it's and again i love all the ace attorney games but maybe it's just like the later ones i feel like the bar was set like so high that you know i was saying before like how everything is like relevant to the plot there's like no you know wasted words or anything like that i feel like later games they tightened it up like even more where like by comparison some things in this game occasionally feel clunky like there was the whole you know air quotes puzzle with like the security camera where you had to like write down the number like this part like i i have kind of mixed feelings like i like that they give you a choice that actually does matter in some way like you need to pick the correct item in order to progress throughout the game but then it's like the other like you want the metal detector but 
the other two things like on the one hand like don't matter and seem kind of unnecessary but on the other hand maybe it is a good thing to give you some choices that do matter and some of the flavor text is you know genuinely funny so I don't know mixed feelings what do you think did you are you on board with this the, did you like the the item selection fetch quest part of this investigation so I feel like if our podcast has one overarching goal, mm-hmm. one truth, one answer that you and I are to bring into this world, it is how do you make an Ace Attorney investigation enjoyable? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like the investigation steps of these games have yeah. an impossible task, right? Obviously, the part of Ace Attorney that most people enjoy are the trials, right? Yeah. Because those are the exciting parts where, you know, it's more fast paced. You get the dramatic reveals. You get the moments where you get to feel smart and cool and like, you know, like a like a big hero, right? Like those are the moments you live for. That's what keeps you coming back to this game. Yeah. But in order to have those moments, in order to have your dessert, you have to eat your vegetables, right? You have to have the proper context. You have to have the evidence. You have to learn about the case and everything that surrounds it. You need to know about the characters and the settings and the motivations. And that's what the investigations do, right? It's basically tricking you into reading a wiki, right? Like the investigations are basically just how can we scam you into reading as many details as you can manage, you know, without getting Mm -hmm. bored and quitting the game. and. Later games try really hard to introduce like gimmicks that break it up or like, you know, little side things you can do that are like a little more interesting. But especially for this first game where they didn't have as much to work with, it's like, how do you make that interesting? And Mm. God, Mish, they try. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they try. (laughs) Yeah, I like the way you describe the investigation. It's like just like necessary you need to like get through this so that you have the information that you need and then the courtrooms like where the real fun where like the real drama happens it's like the ace attorney games uh, they consist all the cases consist of two phases procrastination and masturbation i mean (laughs) investigation and courtroom yeah And, and i don't know it's like do i actually enjoy picking the wrong thing getting a silly scene and then going back to pick the right thing. You know, you could describe that as wasting your time. Right. But like to a certain degree, like if you feel that that's wasting your time, why are you playing a visual novel? Right. Like, yes. Like if you consider, if you consider extra reading and like extra dialogue and scenes to be a waste of your time, like, I don't, I don't know. Go, go play Halo or something like go play a real video game. Right. I don't I don't yeah. even mean that disparagingly, right? I just mean that like literally this is the game, right? Like the game is reading and tapping on stuff. Like that's the game, okay? Well, that, um, that's right. No, because there's like a fine line when it comes to like, yeah. you know, us like criticizing and again, like I love Phoenix Wright so much, but like, you know, anytime we we even for a game I love, you know, you can always find something to criticize and I think there yeah. probably are a handful of instances you can find where it's like, oh, this was, you know, genuinely added nothing to the plot. Like they could have yeah. made this, they could have tightened this up. It could have been like, you know, a 
better user experience to like eliminate this, you know, unnecessary part. But yeah, in general, I agree with you. It's like, yeah, you could eliminate almost everything. And if you were to just like, you know, don't make it a mystery. If you were to just explain <laughs> the events yeah. that happened, it's like, well, all right, we know how the murder happened and it only took five minutes. <laughs> but right. with the full reason you play this, it's fun. I think I think that's exactly it. It's like, you know, did Sal need to ask you to go get the script for Steel Samurai episode 14 and bring it back to him? Did, you know, did you really but have to But then how would leave? we hear like his leet speak? Right. Like did you really need you say Maya his ass to send is you to toned. Abby <laughs> Sal said ass he did say ass and you know what? if we didn't have that scene we would have never heard sal say ass and that's probably more valuable than any fucking courtroom reveal in this entire game you know but yeah i mean like did we need that scene did we need to leave maya at the detention center to go talk to detective gumshoe did we need to choose between three different you know secret weapons and pick one that would probably be wrong like no we didn't but it is important for pacing, like you said. I feel mm -hmm. like if you cut all of these things out, you might as well just be reading the fandom wiki. So, yeah, yeah I, I I feel like this is sort of, it's the conclusion we end up with a lot of gameplay elements that, like, yeah, they are. They're a little clunky. They're a little, like, they're a little banal, right? But it's part mm -hmm. of the medium, and it's a necessary part of the way these stories are told. The, la the last thing I want to say on this topic of, uh, you know, choosing these three items and you know getting some kind of optional flavor text if you chose you know the quote wrong item um if you if you pick the fishing pole and then maya like trips like in front of lada's camera and it goes off for a third time and wastes yet another roll of film uh lada had a funny line she said don't tell me y'all are on some film company's payroll <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah right oh uh, like, that, okay, that that would be that some, actually kind of worth it <laughs> that would be a galaxy brained film company to send people out to disrupt photos to sell more film <laughs> yes it's That's a scam so funny. invented by the film company to sell more film yeah yeah cameras could just take an infinite number of pictures film much companies as, just in much as gender is a scam invented by the bathroom companies to it, sell twice as many bathrooms it's true though that's what i've been saying this whole time <laughs> yeah but yeah so we take the metal detector obviously we go to the boat rental shop obviously and we find an air tank covered in flags mm. obviously <laughs> and obviously. the connection we're right the connection we're supposed to draw here is air tank inflatable samurai flags war yeah. of the eyeglasses obviously now hold on. um <laughs> you lost me at that okay. last one maybe that last one isn't the connection we're supposed to make but no, we are on. supposed I, to connect I do actually i like what maya says here when when she finds she uses metal detector and she first finds the air tank she says i thought it was gordy and it's like oh man just you wait foreshadowing <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so we're supposed to connect the air tank to larry right mm -hmm. because the yes. the flags sort of indicate that that you know this must have come from him um so we can we can present the air tank to larry right mm -hmm. and um he's kind of he doesn't want to talk about it right we have to sort of press him on this right it's kind of fun the the way this is framed it's almost like a, a mini cross-examination right oh yeah um but yeah we we press him on it 
And well, they actually he, add stuff. I think I think you alluded to this in future games. They'll add like the Cyclops or whatever. Yes. Where there's a little bit of kind of try. I, I have mixed feelings about it, but like trying to take some of the, <laughs> you know, courtroom elements, just anything to make these investigation things uh, more dramatic or more exciting. But yeah, maybe this yeah. is the first step towards that. And pretty much immediately after this, we'll get a scene with Lada that is pretty much a, a proto cycloc scene. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see that in a sec. But yeah, basically, Larry explains that he tried filling the inflatable steel samurai with the um, the air tank, right? Because as we learned, his compressor was broken, yeah. but uh, the valve on the air tank broke and mm-hmm. sent the entire thing flying into the lake. Yeah. Now, as we know. Air tanks are held under 200 PSIs of pressure, and a valve stem typically has a diameter of one inch. Therefore, if it was to break, the ejection velocity... I'm kidding. I don't actually... I don't actually know if this is a realistic scenario. You you had me. You had me going. (laughs) You know, I, I... I would give this a plausible. Honestly, there's a typically a lot of energy held in a compressed air tank. Um, and yeah, if he were to suddenly break a valve stem, I could see that sending the whole assembly just totally flying. Um, now, would it require Larry to mess up pretty seriously to break an entire valve while setting this thing up? I mean, if anyone could yeah, mess probably. up that seriously, it would be Larry. Right, exactly. Um so, yeah, Larry explains that when the valve broke on the air tank, it sent the uh, the tank oh, one, and one the thing inflatable. Wanted, did you point this out? Yeah, go ahead. How, um, you know, Larry tries to lie about it. And then you point out that it's got the same flags as on the steel samurai balloon. It's like Larry's just so buffoonish, like caught in like the most obvious lie. It's like, oh, Larry. Oh, and there's. You're playing on the DS, so this may not be the case for you, but on the Switch version where they redid or redrew all the sprites, um, you can see in Larry's face, like, his face will, like, visibly twitch when you, like, catch him in a lie. And I thought that was yeah. kind of neat, like, detail they included. Yeah, he has uh, a little animation for that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he, he explains that um, when the uh, the tank flew away, it took the inflatable with it. Right. And yeah. it sent the whole thing into the lake. Right. Yeah. And this happened last week and he's basically been looking for it ever since. Mm-hmm. And um, he remarks that he didn't find the inflatable until uh, the previous night. Right. The night of the murder. Oh, wait, so he does wait, make a po- wait. Can I, can yeah. I say one more funny line? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Before you get to that, where he like reveals that um, he lost the air tank, he he in his last ditch effort to try and deny anything, he says, I'm not saying anything until my lawyer gets here. And Maya says, Larry, Nick is your lawyer. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I didn't catch that line. That's very funny. All right. Sorry. You were telling us about the, uh, how he was looking for it. No. Every night. Yeah. You're good. He was looking for it in the lake and he basically says he didn't find it until the night of the murder. Yep. Right. Um, he does point out, however, that he had left the lake before midnight, which, as we know, was approximately the time of the murder. Yep. So um, Phoenix remarks that, OK, yeah, that that solves at least one mystery. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which and also, you know, of course, Larry was there on the night of the murder. He's like always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. 
So that's the thing is, you know, Phoenix kind of monologues to himself. He says, all right, well, you know, this solves at least one murder that he thinks, you know, kind of dismissively. Yeah. And what we're supposed to take from that is that the mur- the um, mystery it solves is the mystery of Gordy, right? At this point, we as the players are supposed to infer that uh, the air tank and the inflatable falling into the lake was what was photographed on the news article. That was Gordy. Yeah. However, you're right. This does introduce a new factor into this case that really shouldn't be overlooked. And that's that there was someone else at the lake. Yeah. Right. This isn't necessarily as locked a room mystery as we thought. Mm-hmm. Now, on the night of the murder, we have the boat with Edgeworth and um, and Hammond. But yeah. we also now have a second boat that Larry was on. Mm-hmm. Do we suspect Larry as the killer? <laughs> We've Absolutely had one not. boat, There's... yes. But what about second boat? <laughs> <laughs> but what about second boat? Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, obviously Larry's not the killer. We We know that's not going to be the case. But it is a part of the case that has up to this point been unexamined. Yeah. Chekhov's gun. This has got to be relevant somehow. Chekhov's butts. Che- Chekhov's butts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if Larry shows up in a case, he's probably going to be a witness. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you introduce Larry in the first investigation, then he better ruin your day in the second courtroom scene. Yeah, honestly, honestly, exactly that, right? Because he's not going to be a day three witness. He's yeah. not going to be a day three witness, but he'll he'll for sure be a day two witness. Yeah, I actually I'm thinking about it. I think in this case, he's literally a day three witness now that I'm thinking about it. I haven't played that far yet. So I, yeah, I haven't either. My memory. I, OK, well, you know, uh, I redact my previous statement. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> um, our, our Twitter users are going to come after you. Our, I know our followers. Uh, yeah, uh, at uh, at Court Records on Twitter. Anyway, so we decide to go back to Lada and give her the uh, the unfortunate news of our discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so she says, y'all got the scoop on Gordy, and um, let's see. Oh, you get a choice. You can say either nothing yet, uh, we found him, or Gordy doesn't exist, and... Um, as long as you choose either of the last two dialogue options, then uh, you can either say, you know, we found him and present like the air tank, or you can say Gordy doesn't exist. You know, here's like the real thing. But you eventually uh, get to present the air tank here. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of as I was mentioning before, to me, this is kind of like a, a proto cycloc section, mm-hmm. as I've referenced a few times throughout this podcast, starting in the next game, Justice for All. We do get a codified mechanic for presenting evidence and pointing out contradictions to individuals outside of the courtroom, uh, complete with like, you know, special animations and even a penalty system where we lose character energy for uh, giving them wrong answers, which I have mixed feelings about as well. Uh, yeah. um, but in this case, yeah, we sort of get almost kind of like a, a something similar to that where we tell Lada Gordy doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. And um, basically, yeah, we we indicate this. We we describe this to um, Lada by showing her the air tank. Right. And then um, also showing her the uh, Gordy article. Yeah. So we explain, you know, this is Gordy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that that is kind of enough that sort of proves it to Lada. Right. 
she's yeah. really crushed. Can I, can to I hear point out news? a line? Yeah, this is a good line. Uh, when Phoenix writes describing uh, what happened, he said, "An idiot who also happens to be a friend of mine <laughs> tried to fill <laughs> this um, balloon with air." I just thought it was funny. I don't know if Larry is an idiot who happens to be a friend of mine or a friend of mine who happens to be an idiot, but um, <laughs> either way, I like that. I think it's a little column A, a little column B. Yeah, so so at this point, we know what happened where the, the valve broke, it launched into the air, the balloon got, you know, wrapped around it and, um, you know, hit the water essentially as this uh, couple was taking their photo um, I guess the sound of the air tank hitting the water, that was like the loud bang that everyone associated, you know, with these Gordy sightings. Um, but, you know, that article in the newspaper where you see that kind of silhouette of like the sea monster's head, you know, sticking out of the lake. It was the whole time it was uh, the steel samurai balloon, you know, wrapped around this air tank. We did it. And we then, solved the mystery. Yeah. Case closed. Everyone go home. Case closed. That's we, we solved the case. We have solved the Gordy the mystery. The reason we came to Gord Lake, we solved it. We're good. Edgeworth mm-hmm. never heard of him. Send him to the yeah. send him to jail. We solved Gordy. I don't care about anything else now. <laughs> Bake him away, toys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bake him away. Um, no, so of course, Lada accepts this explanation, right? And mm-hmm. even if it's not the explanation she wanted. But she is yeah. ready to give the case info she has to our mm. duo. Um, yeah. And actually, her info isn't super useful, if I'm being honest. She says that um, she had heard that tomorrow's witness is the caretaker of the boat rental place. She says it's yeah. just an old guy living by himself. She also, um, I-, I appreciate this coming back. She hands over the second photo that she had mentioned mm-hmm. the previous day. Though it's just an empty picture of the lake. It's one of those things where in the previous investigation, Lada had mentioned, you know, the camera went off twice. I, you know, Mm -hmm. it it was triggered twice. I got two photos. Uh, But then she really just focuses on the one photo and enlarges the one photo and presents the one photo in court. And then, yeah, Yeah. finally that comes back around and she's like, oh, yeah, that second photo I mentioned. Here you go. And you take a look at it. It was a real uh, Cody Hackens moment where it's like, <laughs> I took two photos, but you don't you don't care about this one. This yeah, is the real and this is the steel samurai photo. This is the, you know, murder photo. You don't care about this other one. Honestly, ah, but you can take this anyway. Now that we've gotten to it, mm-hmm. it kind of it, it kind of isn't very useful. <laughs> like now that you see it, right, the game doesn't mm-hmm. even have an art frame for it. It just literally the description just says it's an empty picture of a lake like it, it literally like. I don't know. You, it's one of those things that like I was waiting for from the previous trial, and now that I have it, I'm like, yeah, I kind of see why you didn't mention it. It's not very useful. That's weird. So it does get added to the court record, but there's yeah. no actual like art. Like you can't like examine it or yeah. anything. Yeah, there's no art That's frame funny. for it. The description just says it's an empty picture of a lake. Um, mm-hmm. Now, of course, Chekhov's evidence. At some point, this will be relevant, but I legitimately don't remember how. Because, uh, yeah, it really seems pretty irrelevant. So, yeah, we kind of, we leave a this lot is of... Like, I can't believe there's no art frame for this photo. Like, they didn't even bother. It's like, it's like man, they're, like, taking the visual out of visual novel. So, uh, you know, I was thinking about that, too. It's like, on one hand, it's like, just take the art frame with the two guys in the boat and just take out the two guys. And it's the same thing, right? But on the other hand, 
that's an entire separate bitmap they have to have on the Game Boy Advance cartridge. You know, yeah. I bet you they used every every kilobyte that cartridge had. They probably literally didn't want to use the storage space for it. The just like Phoenix yelling objection that like soundbite probably took like <laughs> yeah their available storage space. <laughs> yeah, that quispy objection soundbite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but honestly, worth it. Mm-hmm. Worth it. Definitely. Um, But yeah, so we leave Lada like that, you know, sort of in her malaise um, with with her acceptance that Gordy doesn't exist. And honestly, I feel bad for her. You know, we set up the the sort of stakes that, yeah, per her her words, she's going to give up being a investigative photographer at this point. You know, so she kind of sulks off and she leaves. And, you know, I guess it's Mm -hmm. time for us to have a word with the caretaker at the caretaker's shack. Oh, yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, basically, we just we follow her lead and we go straight to the caretaker shack. Um, There's a super brief scene outside the boathouse um, where basically it's just like, yeah, this is the place. Nobody seems to be around. And they just kind of in. After days of like being able to go to this like boat rental shop and just look at it from the outside and like. No, nobody's ever there. There's no character interactions. There's nothing yeah. you can examine that's like worthwhile. I'm like, oh man, this is finally going to pay off. We're going to get to do something. Oh, also, I want to point this out. This is just me being silly, but like, I went to the boat rental shop because I know that's where I need to go. And then like, it wasn't clear to me what to do next. I'm like, wait, what do I do? Like, so. I guess you had a new location available to like travel to, but there was no location or whatever. So I had to like open the menu and go to like the caretaker shack. And I I was embarrassed at how long it took me to like figure that out. So whoops. Anyway, (laughs) the caretaker shack. Yeah. You go to the boat rental shop and the two of them are like, well, let's go in. And then there's no dialogue, no examine, no present. You literally have to click the move option and then click. The caretaker yeah. shack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we go inside and uh, we're immediately greeted by a strange looking fella. And his uh, yeah. his dialogue nameplate says uncle. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> so I guess that's his name. Phoenix and mm-hmm. Maya have no perspective of that. But he basically immediately starts asking for someone named Meg and someone named Keith right he's referring to maya keith by the way i don't know why of all like the names they could have picked like honestly i put in my notes here i I wrote honestly maya as meg and phoenix as keith kind (laughs) of feels right to me this is like the brand x like knockoff (laughs) character you're like mom can we get phoenix right we have phoenix right at home and it's keith Keith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like something about it does actually feel right to me, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. this guy, right? And he he's an old-looking guy. He has sort of like sharp facial features. You know, he's pretty wrinkled. He's he's wearing like a scarf and a toque and like, you know, kind of like thick-looking jacket and he's sort of like wobbling over as he talks to you. He he looks super yeah, He's got it, gray right? hair like poking yeah. out under his beanie. He's got yeah. like a gray mustache and beard. He's wearing yeah. this pink like sweater. Yeah, he's just this old looking dude who seems kind of confused. Yeah, just this old coot. And yeah. uh he he explains to uh to Keith, he explains that mm-hmm. he is leaving the wet noodle to Keith. <laughs> that yeah. he that Keith is gonna gonna take up the wet noodle. And then he probably yeah, falls like, asleep. Who, who will run the pasta shop while I'm gone? Which was yeah. 
I don't know. I laughed at the phrase pasta shop. I was like, just probably totally not a ramen shop. Oh, sure. This is is like a real eat your hamburgers Apollo moment. Yeah, what? This guy wasn't running a burger shop? Yeah, they have to pretend that like this does not take place in Japan, that it takes place in L.A. But like, whatever. It's silly because like people eat ramen in America and like I feel like we have like ramen shops but like a pasta like yeah we eat pasta of course but like a shop where you go and just like get like a plate of pasta to go that doesn't seem like a real thing (laughs) especially like yeah it it, based on the conversations it seems like uh uncle here intends for the Mm -hmm. boat shack to be the pasta shop that the boat shack you are in right now is the wet noodle right yeah um and yeah, the idea of going to like a national park, right, and going up to a stand and them just giving you a bowl of spaghetti is maybe one of the most wild things I could think of. And I mean, my to nanny point, would be totally on board with it. She'd be like, oh, I would be the spagoot. It would be wild. I would be fucking on board for it too. And to your point, through our dialogue with Uncle, um, mm-hmm. they do actually Americanize this pasta a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess should I say Italiaize? this pasta because um you can ask him about the pasta restaurant and he basically says he's like all right tomorrow i'm gonna start teaching you how to run the pasta shop tomorrow we're gonna learn the secrets of dough tossing meg keith you're gonna be the best pasta wrangler the west has ever seen i laughed so hard (laughs) at the phrase pasta wrangler pasta wrangler that's what he says he says you'll be the best pasta wrangler the west has ever seen and (laughs) maya says pasta wrangler the west isn't pasta from italy so like clearly they're talking about like spaghetti linguine ravioli uh, the ones that look like little bow ties you know they're talking about the worst italian in the world i i know embarrassingly few like pasta shapes (laughs) they're talking about consigle here those are the ones that look like little shells by the way um (laughs) So, like, they're, they're talking about capital I Italian pasta, which you're right, for sure, in the Japanese localization, it was probably, like, soba, right? Or, like, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, so uh, Uncle has another pretty funny line where he says, you know the best pasta's always been made west of the Rockies, don't you? This is cultural <laughs> appropriation. I, I know. This, this is, like, double cultural appropriation, both of the Japanese and of the Italians. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's like you are stealing my Italian heritage. Also, this is supposed to be Japanese. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know what? This seems mm-hmm. fucking funny. I love this whole interaction. It's it's really funny because like Uncle is clearly out of it, but Phoenix yeah. and Maya are like they are both yes anding him so hard. Like Oh yeah, this both- is some grade A like ace attorney like goofballery. <laughs> Just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> They're both like they both immediately buy into their roles as Meg and Keith. It's very good. <laughs> it's very good. Um so yeah, we can also ask Uncle about the boat rental shop and uh he seems pretty confused about that. He thinks that the yep. rental shop is a pasta sauce, right? Um <laughs> he says uh, he says all the kids come up and say, "Yo dude, we want to ride in one of your boats. 
<laughs> and apparently that's why he keeps the boats out there for these weird kids. None of them want to buy his wild. spaghetti. <laughs> he, this poor man is so apparently <clears throat> so confused that he doesn't realize he's running a boat rental shop. He thinks he's running a pasta shop where that like has kids. boats on the side. Yeah, <laughs> he's running like, yeah, a pasta shop where like kids ask to ride his boats and he's like, oh, yeah, I keep the boats around for them. It's like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so that's pretty much all we can get from just talking to him directly. Right. Just some very yeah. confused dialogue about pasta shops, boat shops, you know. This is apparently von Karma's <laughs> right. This is apparently von Karma's like decisive witness for tomorrow, and he doesn't even yeah. know what day it is. You know, yeah. so his his room is very interesting. There's a lot to sort of examine and pick apart here. Um, mm-hmm. it, it looks like a very sort of traditional like Japanese home, right? He has the um. Oh, shit, what do they call those? Little I tables? just googled this word to make sure I remembered it. It's a uh... Kotatsu. The I thought table it was with Kotatsu. The covering it. Yeah. We need, let's all sit around the traditional American Kotatsu and eat our traditional American hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has one of those. He has a, a little little TV in the corner. He has a fishing rod and, you know, a bunch of pictures of fish. Like, it seems like a, he has a little meal on the Kotatsu. Uh, it seems like a mm. nice little home, right? There's a stove yeah. where he would presumably cook his pasta. And um, there's a safe, and I think that's about everything in the room. I think that covers all there, of it. There's a, a CRT television. Yeah, I think that covers all the weird things in his room. I, at first, I was like, oh, yeah, of course he would have a CRT. This is 2001. Yeah. But then yeah, I realized, like, it's actually, like, 2016 <laughs> because 2001, the year the game came out, was actually, like, 15 years in the past when the DL6 incident occurred. But whatever. He's an old man. Yeah. He's behind the times and technology. It's fine. Yeah. Plus, yeah, CRTs nothing... are actually better for certain old video games. So the, maybe, the he's CRT... like a, maybe he's like an elite level fighting game player, speed <laughs> yeah. runner. He, he's actually a top tier Smash player. Um, yeah. Yeah. The CRT is definitely the weirdest thing in this room. <laughs> Not the parrot. The what? The parrot. Polly. <laughs> the, the, there's a parrot. Uh-huh. Huh? There's a, is this a, he has is a, this a bit? Yeah. I'm, there's Don't a you, parrot? What? Are you, are so, you messing with me? Yeah, this guy has a whole ass tropical parrot. I mean, it would be weirder chilling. if he had half a parrot. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Um, so, yeah, he has a parrot. And if we uh, if we interact with it, we, we find that the parrot's name is Polly. And that Polly mm-hmm. could say all kinds of things if you know the right words, right? Yes, Maya's you kind need of to upset. know the secret words to say. Yeah. Yeah, Maya's kind of upset that Polly doesn't respond at first. But then, yeah, Uncle explains that, yeah, you know, Polly is actually a pretty smart bird. And will say all kinds of stuff if you know what to say to say to it. Yeah. Um, some other things to investigate, right? Um, I, I thought the fish pictures were actually pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> it seems normal at first. But if you examine the fish pictures, um, Phoenix remarks that they're all saltwater fish. Yeah. And I assume Gord Lake is a freshwater lake. Got him. Yeah, there's something like kind of unsettling about that, actually. (laughs) Like this guy having something in this room that by all appearances is correct, 
but upon scrutiny is like totally out of place. Like, I don't know. It's There's actually something genuinely unsettling about that. Um, like uncanny valley. It would be like <laughs> if he had something that was just like completely unrelated. Like if he had a bunch of pictures of like circus clowns or I don't know. Right. Or like, if, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's like also that would be safe. less weird than to have something that's like almost accurate. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a safe too. Um, yeah. it's locked. There's, mm-hmm. you know, nothing to be done about that. Um, yeah. but yeah, so we can, um, that's really all there is to investigate. That's all there's going on in this room. We can present a few things to uncle as well. Um, we yeah. can show him our attorney's badge and, mm-hmm. uh, he actually recognizes it. <laughs> he, um, yes, that was, he, I mean, knowing what we know is people who've played the game already. This is very good. Well, it's also like without context, it's pretty funny too, because, <laughs> um, He's like the only one in the game that actually like seems to give a shit about Phoenix's attorney's badge. That is you funny because like there are times when you have to present it like when your client, you know, in this case, Miles Edgeworth, obviously, but you know, whoever it is, when they're like behind bars, you can present your attorney badge and offer to like defend them. That's generally the only use it has. You can present it to other characters and they just are unimpressed by it like gumshoe yeah. says like his detective's badge is like nice or whatever <laughs> like, yeah or other characters just like won't recognize it at all and poor phoenix gets like no respect and he says yeah this old guy's the first person to recognize my badge yeah exactly like phoenix routinely gets roasted for his badge but then this like dude who lives in a shack out of his mind is like oh yeah hey that's yeah. an attorney's badge like what's good and well, you um, know what's cool about this is i i was gonna I wrote in my notes at first this was like an Easter egg that he recognized your badge. I guess that's maybe not the right term since this is like on the critical path. Like you need to show it to him to advance the plot. But as we'll learn later, there is a reason that this character is familiar with these uh, attorney badges. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It makes sense. It makes sense. But yeah, right now he recognizes Phoenix as a lawyer and agrees to help with the trial on one condition. Mm Mm-hmm. And that condition is that Keith and, and uh, fuck. Meg. Meg. And that condition is that Keith and Meg agree to take up the wet noodle. I kind of wonder now what names they used in like the Japanese version. I probably wouldn't get it, but I'm willing to bet yeah. that like, you know, some names that have probably have puns in Japanese because yeah. all the characters' names have puns. But then I wonder what name uh, Uncle called them. It was probably some, like, common name. I don't know. Yeah. Probably called them, like, Satoshi. I don't know what's a common yeah. name. <laughs> I don't know. What's what's the Japanese equivalent of, like, Smith? <laughs> what's, what's the Japanese um, equivalent of Keith? <laughs> I mean, his nameplate in Japanese might have literally just been Uncle, right? Because <laughs> it, it seems like, you know... It seems like Keith and Meg are like his family. Either it's, yeah. you get the sense that they're either supposed to be his kids or I guess like his nephew and like his nephew's wife or like his like yeah. niece and nephew or something. You know, like it, it seems like there's some sort of like relationship between Keith and Meg and this character. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It, probably some sort of familial connection there. Um, but yeah. So Phoenix does, of course, under oath, he agrees to run the wet noodle. (laughs) Of course. He says, of course, uncle, of course, I will take up your legacy. The wet noodle that has been in our family for generations. Of course, you know, (laughs) it's just 
Oh my god, Phoenix and Maya, like you said it before, they're yes ending everything. They're both just yeah. hamming it up, like chewing the scenery here. I freaking yeah. love this. And then we can also uh present him the lake photo, to which mm-hmm. he pretty casually is like, Oh yeah, I saw the murder. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, he's like, uh, yep, I was there. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah, and the and Maya and Phoenix are like, wait, what? Like, this is what crucial information. What are you yeah, doing? Please, please tell us about this immediately. <laughs> yeah. So we get we get two more uh, dialogue options, right? We can ask him about Polly since we've examined Polly <laughs> at this point. Um, and basically, uh, yeah, he he explains what you said that you know Polly has secret phrases, right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, immediately Maya's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Hey, Polly, what's the code to the safe? Oh my god, and yeah. Pop, Polly's like, squawk, the code to the safe is one, two, two, eight. Caw. And then and and oh my god, um Maya's like back to being a troublemaker again. She, <laughs> she said earlier, she's going full like scoochone. But I also like um this might be related. You can examine the safe and um you know, this character uncle tells you, he's like, no, Meg, don't go opening people's safes without their permission. <laughs> and Maya yeah. says, maybe later. <laughs> it's yeah. like, later. But foreshadowing. If you, yeah. if you introduce a safe in the first act, you better crack open that safe in the third. Nah, we, we have a safe. We have the code to the safe. Probably won't be relevant. Eh, probably yeah, not. Probably, <laughs> probably not. Um, and then since we showed him the lake photo, we can also ask, obviously, about what he saw. Right. And um, it's honestly a really funny testimony to me because it's pretty straight down the middle. Right. He explains that he saw two men on a boat. He heard two shots and then he Mm -hmm. saw the boat come in. Yeah. It's like, bro, how do we have another person on this lake who saw this shit? Yeah. And he said one of the guys was muttering something to himself. I asked, what did he say? And he's like, I forgot. Yeah. It's like, well, you get like the sad sound effect of like. So, yeah, we kind of we, we get all of these interactions and they kind of just raise more questions than they answer. Right. Yeah. Who is this guy? Why does he have a parrot? Why is he out of his mind? Like, what is going on here? Right. And after we sort of hear his testimony, you know, we're kind of like, well, I guess that's basically it. That's all we're going to get out of this guy. And um, Phoenix and Maya are more or less ready to leave, right? Yeah. And Maya, being sort of the the scoochone, as you had said, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. On her way out, she says, "Hey, Polly, are we forgetting anything?" Mm, yeah. And po- and Polly says, "Squat, don't forget DL six, squat." Oh man, I love this. And then you what? get the dramatic. It like split second thing screen fades to black and it's like boom you get like the music change and it's like i don't i don't think it was pursuit it was one of those other like dramatic i, I believe it's the suspense theme yeah and it's just like oh shoot <laughs> what the fuck like yeah literally what does that mean right like at, yeah. at this stage in the case mm-hmm. why the fuck is this guy in a random ass sh- shack connected to dl6 Listen, it's like everyone is every character you meet is connected to DLC. Yeah, yeah you, even fucking Lotta Heart is probably connected, you know, like, I guess. yeah. So it, I love this 
this scene. I love this bit, right? Because it's like you spend most of this whole scene just kind of confused, right? Like not really getting anywhere. And yeah. then this happens and it mm-hmm. just recontextualizes the entire scene. Yeah. Right. The fact that this guy is somehow involved in DL6, that's yeah. huge. That's it's like the plot thickens. Right. And then um, basically he, he, Maya and Phoenix step out and like the guy immediately locks the door behind them. And like, I actually thought that was funny. That was yeah. like, I don't know, kind of a silly way of the game, like railroading you. He like locks the door behind you. It's like, well, guess we don't need to go in there anymore. Like, I kind of in my head imagine that um, he like basically shoves them out as soon as the parrot says that, and then like locks yeah. the door, pulls the blinds, turns off all the lights, and it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Guess mm-hmm. we'll settle this in court tomorrow, maybe. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's that's kind of where we leave that scene. Um, I, I feel that's kind of the most important scene in the case. Um, from there, we kind of have a bit of a bit of wrap up and then a few important details at the end here. So yeah, that um, was definitely the big reveal. When, yeah. And Polly name dropped uh, DL6. DL6. Yeah. Um, so we uh, from there, you know, we go back to criminal criminal affairs to return the metal detector i guess oh man hold on this is it's gonna happen now i would like to tell you the payoff for um examining this detective who's constantly doing his image training did you you do this no i didn't tell me about it (laughs) okay so throughout this case and even previous ones i think you could like examine this dude he's always doing you know what they call image training and it's some kind of normal you know police interaction like you're at like a traffic stop or, you know, hostage negotiation or like arresting a suspect or whatever. And it's kind of this running gag every time he's doing some like normal police thing. If you if you examine him at this stage, like, you know, close to the end of this phase here, um, the detective is uh, mumbling something to himself. And he's saying, he goes, I I'm not going to make it. Just please arrest that guy for me. Ah, and it's like, uh, Phoenix says he must be doing image training for dying in action. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like, what? What? <laughs> He's doing image training for dying in action. Well, you know, he wants to make sure that when he dies in action, it's suitably dramatic, you know? Yeah, you gotta have the dramatic thing, you gotta have the payoff, you gotta have, like, the heartfelt last scene with your partner who's gonna go avenge you. Yeah, exactly, exactly, that's what he's image training for. You know what? I take it back, this guy's a real professional. Yeah, so that that was the kind of Easter egg or, you know, payoff for that uh, running gag. Oh my god, that's so funny, holy shit. I I actually, I've turned around, I love this guy now. (laughs) I, I... I've played through this game several times and have never noticed that uh, until now. <laughs> yeah. But, all right. So, in the uh, criminal affairs department, we uh, we meet back up with Gumshoe, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we get to ask him about the uh, caretaker, yes. Uncle, the guy we just talked to. And Gumshoe <laughs> explains that the caretaker apparently wasn't a persuasive enough witness, which is why during yesterday's trial, they called Lada Hart instead. Uh, Which actually apparently makes sense. The dude it does make like sense. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty obviously confused. Dude. Yeah, they they have this one guy who's off his gourd, and then they have this other woman who's 
super who's off his gourd lake (laughs) yeah exactly and they have this other woman who is like super convicted super like sure and like certain that she saw the murder and like yeah obviously the prosecution would go with the more the person of more sound mind you know yeah um but yeah so uh gumshoe also mentions that apparently nobody even knows who this guy is so that's weird yeah um and then we could also ask him about the uh, dl6 incident and he explains that Miles Edgeworth had forbade any of the police officers from reading the DL6 file. So Gumshoe can't provide it. He says, however, that he will open the file. He will open the DL6 file for them if they can convince him it's related. Yes. And I mean, look, we know the victim is related to DL6, right? Robert Hammond. Because is, everything is related to DL6. Right. This <laughs> is Phoenix right? Yeah. But um, I guess that's not a conclusive enough connection right i mean yeah you know whatever um but if we present gumshoe the parrot phoenix yeah. explains that uh the caretaker's parrot had mentioned dl6 which indicates mm-hmm. some sort of connection between the caretaker who's a key witness and dl6 so gumshoe's like yeah that's good enough i'll show you the files <laughs> and um he gives them access to the uh criminal affairs uh, records room yes so this is our final scene in the case and uh upon entering maya says wow it's amazing lee dusty yeah <laughs> 15 years of dust building up yeah throughout this scene we sort of get an emphasis on just the volume and age of everything that's in there right mm-hmm. it really t- to me it puts into perspective how backed up the justice system is and just how easy it is for a case to fall into obscurity and for the truth to be lost if nobody is pursuing it. Yeah. You know, Phoenix remarks, he's, you know, he's like, all of these files are here gathering dust. DL6 mm-hmm. is one of them, right? Yeah. Um, so Maya finds the DL6 file and um, she has a few details about it that she wants to read to Phoenix, right? Um, mm-hmm. So she picks out a few key parts of the file. She picks out yeah. the case summary the victim data and the suspect data. So the yeah. case summary is basically a summary of things that we more or less already knew, right? That DL6 took place in the district court elevator, that there was a large earthquake on the day of the incident. During the earthquake, all of the power went out and three people were trapped in the elevator for five hours and that the survivors were unconscious due to the lack of oxygen and Gregory, Gregory Edgeworth was found shot in the heart. Yes. So the next section about victim data uh, says that Gregory Edgeworth was shot in the heart by a pistol and he could Mm -hmm. not and it could not have been suicide. Um, And then it also remarks that the pistol was shot twice. Mm. And then finally, we get some data on the suspect. uh, And this is the first time we get the name of the suspect in this case, who is a man named Yanni Yogi. Um, Yanni was was the suspect. He was a clerk at the district court. He was the third person in the elevator, in addition to Gregory Edgeworth and Miles Edgeworth. And he was found innocent thanks to Robert Hammond, who we will recall is the victim in this case. And uh, this is the first time we learn this dude's name, uh, Yanni Yogi. We're like, yeah. I don't know if you felt the same way, but like throughout this whole case, I almost thought it was like, I get why they did it. Because this is, and I, and I think Ace Attorney 
does an excellent job of this, the kind of storytelling where they don't give you all the details. They give you these breadcrumbs and they keep you guessing like that's wonderful. But this particular case, like they seem to go so far out of their way not to reveal this guy's name. They were like, they brought up so many times. They're like, oh yeah, this uh, defense attorney, Robert Hammond got a not guilty verdict for, um, the one suspect. And they just kept referring to him as the suspect. And it's been like several days of this. Like, man, if these cases, the, you know, the current, uh, present day murder of Robert Hammond and, you know, the DL6 incident from 15 years ago, if these are so, cases are so intimately connected, you think they would have at least, like, given this character a name. It was almost, like, suspicious how far they went out of their way not to name him. Yeah. And finally know his name. It's Yanni Yogi. I guess part of it is to sort of direct our focus, right? Kind of yes. like a, a magician casting an illusion that prior to this point, we kind of don't care who that suspect yeah. was. The, the suspect in DL6 is really more of just a, a a formless, shapeless entity upon which other characters act, right? We needed to know the name of Robert. Just some random jabroni. <laughs> yeah, yeah, random jabroni, right? Like, you know, if we were playing Danganronpa, it's the, the shadowy, like, gray character that represents the murderer at the end of the, at the end of those cases, you know, like just sort of this like placeholder, right? Until we. Good comparison. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Danganronpa next. I honestly, hey, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, up until this point, the suspect in DL6 is kind of just a placeholder, I feel like. Yeah. You know, Robert Hammond, for example, he got a name because he was the victim in today, in current day's uh case right yeah um but now the game gives the suspect a name yanni yogi as a way of sort of focusing us of being like hey this person has a name they're probably important somehow you know like it, it starts to sort of bring that more into focus and i think they do that by giving them a name so yeah you know at this point we kind of have all of the key pieces of dl6 yeah, so wait, last thing. I don't know if you mentioned yeah. this, but um, I do like the last line here when you ask about the suspect data. Um, we've learned that uh, suspect uh, Yana Yogi was so oxygen-deprived uh, that he suffered brain damage. He lost all memory of being in the elevator that day. Um, after the incident, he disappeared. And then Phoenix has this kind of cryptic line, his inner monologue. He goes, he may be closer than we think. yeah. Which, yeah, is just very sort of cryptic. It seems like Phoenix is starting to put some pieces together. And yeah, um, yeah it's it's a good I think it's a good sort of cliffhanger. And then that yeah. kind of that's where the that's where the uh, the case kind of ends. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of them take part of the DL6 file and then they they bounce. They leave the records room. Right. Yeah. Um, one thing I found kind of interesting about it. Maya does say, Nick, are we going to take the whole file? This is too much. We'll never get it out. And Phoenix is like, yeah, you're right. How about we just take what we need? Right. And they basically mm-hmm. take all the information we just went over. Yeah. Are we to understand that they're stealing the file? Is that what she means by we'll never get it out? That they're trying <laughs> to like conceal it under their clothes and like sneak out with the file. Like, is that how I'm supposed to take that line? I mean, that is kind of how evidence law works in this game. You just gotta <laughs> yeah. steal things from like crime scenes. So maybe. Yeah, just take whatever you could get. Consequences yeah. be damned. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. So maybe. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they, they leave criminal affairs and we get a big old to be continued. Oh, heck yeah. To be so. continued uh, in court tomorrow. 
Yeah. So that covers the third part to turn about goodbyes. Um, just some final thoughts I had, right? Um, yeah. So thinking about this case overall, it's a very dense case, right? Mm, There's a yeah. lot to cover in these in this case, and the investigation seemed to run pretty long. I think this investigation is fun in that it follows up on some of the things we set up in the previous case, such yeah, as, definitely. you know, Larry getting his hot dogs eaten by missile or Maya mm-hmm. setting off Lada's camera. Like little bits like that, you know, those were set up in the previous uh, investigation. And now we're sort of, you know, getting little payoffs. It's kind of like I talked about in Turnabout Samurais where, you know, we get this sense of a living, breathing world where characters mm-hmm. do things and have motivations outside of Phoenix and Maya's interactions. Yeah. Definitely. But as much as I like that, in a lot of ways, this investigation kind of felt like doing cleanup to me. Right. Mm, like yeah. the main thing we get out of this investigation is proving that Gordy doesn't exist. And it's like, <laughs> that's cool. But that yeah. literally has nothing to do with the actual uh, Edgeworth trial, you know? So it's like, yeah. You know, we do get a few details about, you know, the connection with the caretaker, about our information with Yanni Yogi, about Larry's presence on the scene. But like, it's just these little pieces that are sort of floating out, which I guess is kind of where we're supposed to be right now Mm -hmm. on day two. Right. These sort of things are just sort of floated out there. And then over the next final day, things are going to start coming together. Yeah. So that's kind of my hot take is like people always talk about, you know, like, case three syndrome i think it's like the real thing because i loved case three in this game i'll i'll not hear anything bad about turnabout samurai i think the real the real syndrome is um for like the three-day trials like investigation to syndrome (laughs) because it's like yeah they it's like you're kind of like between the two bookends right where they you know have this murder which is obviously a dramatic scene and then you know you go around gathering all this evidence and you have the final, you know, courtroom thing where you unravel the mystery and, you know, you finally prove once and for all that your client is not guilty. But then because it's a three day thing, you've got three investigations. You've got this second investigation kind of sandwiched in the middle where it's like they have to advance things and maybe also the first or second like courtroom scene. Cause it's like they have to, advance the plot a little bit and give you like a little more detail about these, you know, open questions, but they can't tell you everything because they need to save something for day three. (laughs) So I could see that like the investigation, like, I don't know. It is very dense and it is actually an excellent story. Like I love this, Yeah, but yeah, as, as we go through this, I do, I do realize that I, I very much enjoy this case. It's a really great case. It's, it's fantastic. I feel like you're right that that is a common problem with the second investigation of any three day trial in that it does in many cases feel like we're kind of just trying to kill time. Right. Yeah. And I I feel like this is a trend that we will see in the series going forward that these sort of middle investigations and these middle trials kind of serve to address the lower level mysteries that were introduced in the beginning of the case. Right. Yeah. So, for example, in this one. We solve the mystery with um, with Gordy. Right. Yeah. You know, something that's not directly related to the murder, but is an ancillary part that's important to providing context. Right. Yeah. Similarly, with Turnabout Samurai, we sort of solve the mystery of, you know, 
was there anybody else that was at Global Studios on the day of the murder, right? Yeah. Which is sort of an ancillary detail, but is important to the context. Because, again, that's how we learned that D. Vasquez was on the scene. That's kind of what blew that case open. So it is a weird place. I, I feel like the second investigation, the sort of middle of an ace attorney case, does get a lot of shit. But I think they do serve an important purpose to the overall pacing and to the construction of these stories. And I think it is interesting to see these trends and to sort of pull them apart as we go through these games. So, yeah, I I, for for all of the any of the issues we may have had with it, I actually really enjoyed the day one trial and I really enjoyed the day two investigation. And I'm looking forward to what this case has in store for us. But I think that's going to do it for us today. Mish, what do you think? I think I think we did it. We did an ace attorney. We did it. I think we did do an ace attorney. All right. So, Mish, where can people find you? You can find me uh, on all of the platforms at Mish Cosplay. Uh, I am most active on Instagram and Twitch streaming. Oh, man. Someday I will have a (laughs) normal streaming schedule. Maybe by the time this episode comes out, I will be uh, streaming every Monday and Thursday. Luckily, luckily for me, we also don't always have a normal uh, release schedule for podcast episodes, so I have plenty of time to get my other Twitch streaming schedule together, and then it's over for you bitches. This episode will probably be coming out in like a month, so you have quite a bit of time to get it together. Uh, awesome. Also, Wait. vaguely threatening, by the way, it's, <laughs> once you have a streaming schedule, you will be unstoppable, and then it is yes. over for us. Exactly. Abby, where can people find you? (laughs) People can find me at Abersary on all of the places. Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, even Tumblr. I am on all of the places. You can check out the link in the show notes. I stream on Twitch every Thursday and Saturday playing creative games about space. Seems to be the thing right now. In a month, we'll see. (laughs) Anyway, that is it for us today we are done with the podcast we have no more pods to cast today we've casted all of our pods just like maya casted her fishing line into gourd lake i thought it was into the bushes whatever that counts as our pun that counts as our sign off pun thank you everybody have a good night Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. 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 I'm waving my hands. Bye. 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 I didn't know there was an ace attorney poker. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm looking at this list. There's I hardly it. ace attorney know her. <laughs> Stupid. Please, Stop. please don't use that as the intro. <laughs> no promises. Um.